pure art. You see, I consider myself an artist. Surgical techniques are not enough. This has to be done with care. Yes, dear, I know it's bothersome. But you have very sensitive skin. Oh, I love the softness of human skin. Welcome to episode 51 of the Nashy Cast. I am Rod Barnett. You had to think about it a minute, didn't you? No, no, no. I was, I was shattering. <laughs> okay. Oh, you were wanting to. Yeah, I was shattering. Yeah. Uh, I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are here for, uh, I should refer to us once again as our genial co as your, as your genial co-hosts mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I said it uh, I, every now and then. Uh, I actually listened back to uh, the uh, promo that we did a long while back where I introduced mm-hmm. us as the genial co-hosts of the mm-hmm. Nashy Cast. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm reminded of uh, not having a clue why that phrase popped out why, of just, my yeah. face. But it did, and so therefore it is immortalized. <laughs> Forever. Something I will be identified with regardless of anything else that happens in my lifetime. So uh, we said on your tombstone, he was a genial (laughs) co-host. Yes, genial co-host. Irascible bastard, genial (laughs) co-host. So we are here tonight to uh, talk to you about a Paul Nashie film. Although, in all honesty, this uh, this one has the least amount of Nashie Mm. that I think that it is possible to have. Yeah, yeah. In that... uh, uh, well, it's definitely a posthumous Paul Nashie mm-hmm. film. This mm-hmm. was definitely produced after his passing, right. and uh, his participation is uh, slight at best. But uh, the love of the master himself mm-hmm. is definitely apparent throughout. The yeah, film. it is a very much a loving uh, tribute uh, uh, to him. The uh, his spirit definitely infuses the project. I think certainly, certainly, and there are uh, lots of neat little nods to uh, past glories mm-hmm. in uh, of uh, not just uh, not just the entire horror genre, but specifically to uh, mm-hmm. Spanish horror and mm-hmm. Paul Nashie himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the least of which is uh, the uh, lead actor in the cast. Yeah. But yes, or I guess you would call I guess you would call him the villain of the cast. Yeah, actually. Yeah. So, but mm-hmm. we will the get heavy. to our yeah, the heavy. Yeah, we will get to our discussion of Wax, the film from just uh, just last year, uh, in a few minutes. Uh, before then, a few a few bits of housekeeping. Thank you, everyone, for everyone. Uh, th- I, I want to thank you for not not just pulling down this episode to listen to, but of course, our past episodes as well. It has not gone unnoticed that uh, 
See, I can't stop shattering now. <laughs> it's not gone unnoticed that uh, our download figures at the podcast have remained very strong even as we take uh, a month off mm -hmm. to uh, do a Godzilla podcast a couple of times a year now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll have to say our download numbers on the Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster episode of the, the Bloody Pit, our sister podcast... Have been very strong. It's very. It's always nice to know that yeah. people are willing to uh, listen to us babble about something other than Spanish horror. And mm -hmm. my God, you are. Yeah, yeah. So, thank you. I'm hoping that everybody is crossing over, and uh, or at least those interested are crossing over and listening to us talk about the controversial kaiju films when we get the opportunity. Uh, we'll be doing another one here in a couple of months. We'll be mm -hmm. focusing on uh, yeah. a, a much more recent Godzilla film right. than Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster or Godzilla's Revenge, mm -hmm. and. Uh, that should be fun, although you do get uh, a Nashi episode this month, and next month we're going to do another Beyond Nashi, so uh, you know, yeah. we're back in the Spanish horror vein for uh, right. well, at least 60 days, let's call it that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it feels like uh, putting on another, uh, put, put, put on a pair of comfortable mm. shoes here. <laughs> That's a very interesting time to be, uh, it's always an interesting time to be delving into Spanish horror, but when you, I think if you went back five years ago when we started, uh, we were thinking in terms of a, of a, a genre whose glories had come and gone with the seventies, but in this, but now, I mean, boy, the Spanish Spanish horror is there's a, there's quite a boom of uh, of talent and interesting things going on in Spanish horror currently in the cinema. Well, that's true. I mean, and, and of course, the most visible of that would uh, would be things like the Rec films. Mm -hmm. um, the fourth mm -hmm. one, the fourth Rec film, just came out. I haven't seen it yet, mm -hmm. but uh, considering how much I've enjoyed the previous mm -hmm. three, I, mm -hmm. I I can hardly wait to uh, to check this one out. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, they're just—you're right. There has been uh, a nice, steady mm -hmm. flow of good Spanish horror films over the past. Well, I started noticing them in like '99 mm -hmm. uh, with uh, the uh, adaptation of *The Nameless*. Speaking, yeah, spe yeah. yeah. Speaking it, it of really the, kind of began with. Uh, you're right. It's sort of been this this growing kind of. You just said it kind of grew in this began over the late '90s, late '90s, late so '90s. There was the there, there was the, there was thesis and right, uh, right. nobody knows anybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had the others, nameless. you know, we had like... Yeah, uh, and then uh, Amina Barra came over and did his English yeah. language debut mm -hmm. with the others. Mm -hmm. And so there's this uh, wonderful... Uh, it's 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 It never bursts like mm -hmm. in, into full flower, but there's this wonderful mm -hmm. undercurrent of, of a steady stream of Spanish horror that seems to come mm -hmm. out. And it's really nice that it's still there. Because there's not much still trickling out from Italy, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah, you get the yeah. occasional Dario Argento film, but uh, the days of uh, you know twenty or thirty mm -hmm. insane Italian horror films popping out, uh, those are long gone. But mm -hmm. uh, we don't get that kind of output from Spain either. But at least you can point. I could point to an even dozen, maybe even twenty or twenty, maybe even two dozen Spanish horror films mm -hmm. over the past. Hell, fifteen twenty years mm -hmm. that I would recommend to people. I mean, yeah, besides yeah. the wreck films, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Fragile and um, uh, Nameless and uh, Darn. We saw that what the uh, the Baltimore Inheritance, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, it was, it I mean, was there's well some done, yeah. there's some really interesting stuff being yeah. done out there, and, and lots of different flavors of it. So yeah. it's like, oh, and I haven't watched Attack of the Werewolves yet. Oh, Although not I have either, but it's, oh, uh, I have it though. That's, 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 that's gonna be yeah. That's yeah, gonna be yeah. We need to we need to sit down and watch a, that. Yeah. yeah, that may be that may have to be a Beyond Nashi here, you know. here one day soon because that's a, that's modern that's more modern Spanish horror. So yeah, I think that's yeah. definitely ripe for this mm. show. 
well, at any rate, remember, you can get hold of us, and apparently we do we do have some feedback to get to later in the show. Mm-hmm. You can get hold of us at nashycast at gmail.com. Glad to hear from you always, always, always. And uh, like I say, you can also join us uh, for uh, podcasting goodness over on the Bloody Pit as well. And uh, I'm trying to keep uh, my blog up. Uh, tax season has made it difficult. <laughs> People, in case you were unaware... <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, here in America, we have this long period of time for the first oh three or four months of the year where people do their their income taxes, and uh, for the past oh, five or six years, I've been doing uh, a side job of personal income taxes on the weekends while I keep up my own job, and so I am coming off of over a month of working every, every stinking day. day. Yeah, I can pretty much say if it wasn't for this podcast, I would never say I would not see you. <laughs> not during that period. Not during of time. that time. No, I would, I would not no, see you. No, 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 man. I was, man, the days of, the days of uh, uh, wine and roses. No, mm-hmm. that's wrong. Mm-hmm. The, the days of getting a butt ton of sleep and having beer an and actual DVDs, day off is what you were going to say. Beer and DVDs. <laughs> yeah, days of beer and DVDs. That'll be uh, that'll be Rod's. Autobiography, or you know, autobiographical film, we call that. Days of beer. Yeah, that's that's not a bad idea. You're right. But at any rate, folks, what we will do is uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back in a few minutes, and we will discuss the uh, 2014 film that's just out on DVD here in the United States. Mm, courtesy of uh, Stuart Gordon's, uh, uh, not Stuart Gordon, I'm sorry, Charles, Charles Band's Band. idea, the, the, uh, yeah, of uh, his uh, Full Moons label. Correct. It's uh, it's called Wax. And, uh, we should wax upon it. Uh, we we wax, wax on, wax off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was bad. Well, I should, I should, I'm glad we got that out of the way because that's just kind of hanging there, waiting to be used. And I know even our listeners are like, I wonder when they're going to make a wax on, wax oh, off. Yeah, We've it's, done it. Uh, now we can take our break and okay, we can move but, on. I mean, come on. that's that's not that's not just low hanging fruit. It's, that's it's, that's fruit that's already dropped out of the, the ground. ground. I was going to say <laughs> fruit slapped on the ground, falling on the ground with some worm, maybe a little wormy. You know, I think. Sad, sad, sad. Okay, folks, we'll be back in a moment. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Down Place is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer? Wasn't that an 80s cop show on ABC with David Raish? This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Down Place can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Wait, that was Sledgehammer. 1951 Down Place, the home of Hammer Films discussion.
fascination that some feel toward wax museums. I live in one. I am a figure posed among kings, princes, and nobles. We pass the hours in darkened rooms. Wax, 2014, a very recent Spanish horror film. And, uh, well, let's let, let, let's start off. I want to talk kind of broadly about this film. We're not going to go uh, in-depth, in detail through the, uh, the entire film. Um, there are a lot of things I want to touch on, and we'll kind of hit those chronologically as we kind of walk mm-hmm. our way through the through the basics of the of the structure of the film. Okay. But I would like to say that first off, this is a, a very modern horror film. This is a film that, uh, my, in my old cliched phrase, definitely earns a, an R rating or an even stronger rating at yes, certain times. Yes, if you if you like the sick stuff, it's in this film for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah very true. And also, this is a film that um, is a combination of three or possibly more different horror genres that mm-hmm. are kind of crammed together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a pretty good combination when you think about it. First of all, it's uh, it has a lot of elements of Waxworks films. Um, mm-hmm. Mystery, of the, Mystery of the Wax Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film could actually have been called Mystery of the Wax Museum. Yeah. It would have been an appropriate title for yeah. it. But um, there's a there's a long history stretching back to the early 30s. I couldn't find any silent. Well, films. I think there is one. Waxworks, is Waxworks by Paul Lini. That was oh, made in 1924, right, right. which is which is yeah, right. very effective, neat film. Which, that, that's yeah, that's actually, yeah. I don't remember that I've yeah. actually seen. Waxworks. That would probably be, yeah. to my knowledge, the first uh, the first uh, film that that has that sort of as its theme. But uh, well, my favorite um, Wax Museum film is actually the 1933 film, The Mystery of the Wax Museum, directed by Michael Curtiz and starring mm-hmm. Fay Ray, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's a really really good movie, and. Um, Actually, uh, the Vincent Price film from 1953, House of Wax, is really a kind of remake of it mm. because the the way the the villain in uh, Mystery of the Wax Museum from 33 looks is also the same kind of costume that the villainous Vincent Price character is dressed up as. It's the same kind of costume right. uh, in both films. So in a way, House of Wax kind of is a remake of Mystery of the Wax Museum, but. I don't know. Some some people might debate that, but I don't see how they could. But mm-hmm. there's a House of Wax, and uh, there's Charlie Chan and the Wax Museum, Santo and the Wax, and the Wax Museum. Museum. Yes, of course. Even El Santo gets into the act. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. Well, I I let me say, I think I've touched. You know, I'm I'm like say I'm a sucker for anything in a wax. Me- I love you know I love wax museums. I love uh, anything that's set in a wax museum. Just like I love anything that's set like in a carnival fun house or spook spook ride or something uh-huh. or spook show or car. You know. Uh, it's kind of like it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to forgive it everything, but you definitely got my interest if you've chosen that as your setting. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, that's it. I think it'd be it'd actually make an interesting uh, podcast sometime if you could do an interesting podcast on just the history of wax wax. Oh, works I think in films, I, I, I think mean. you could. I mean, because you'd have to include uh, wax works and which, wax work, which too. I thoroughly enjoy. The first one, uh, I haven't. I don't know if I've ever even seen the second one, but actually, I love the the, I, the second one I kind of enjoy more. Liked it more. It's it's a, it's, a, it's it's a little crazed, and it it's not like a Beastmaster two where it goes it goes <laughs> off the rails insane, but it is it is a fun movie. Yeah. Um, did you ever get to see um, from nineteen ninety six or seven? Uh, Wax Mask, the Italian uh, no, horror film. It was going to be the. It was uh, it was a film that Lucio Fulci was actually in prep on. He was in post. I mean, I'm sorry, in pre production on uh, when he passed away. Uh, mm-hmm. Dario Argento produced it, and it was going to be something they worked together on. Argento was going to produce it, and Fulci was going to direct. And uh, this was, of course, very near the end of his life. But he passed away before the film even went into production. And so Sergio Stivalotti, 
the uh, special effects man who worked on so many uh, Fulci and, Ar- mm. and Argento films stepped in the director's chair and, wow. and, and, and made the movie. Uh, it's, called, it's called Wax, Wax Mask, Mask. Okay. from, I think, 1997. And uh, uh, I saw it first on a bootleg back right after it came out. And uh, my memories of it at the time were that I wasn't all that impressed with it because it seemed like chunks of the story were missing. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, an ingenue character who's rather demure goes from that 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 kind of reserved. It's a period piece. It takes mm-hmm. place in uh, I believe the uh, late eighteen hundreds mm-hmm. or early nineteen hundreds. I can't remember. And she she goes from there. She goes from being this demure, very very uh, reserved person to uh, making out with this guy mm-hmm. in you know you know rather hot and heavy in what boils down to a sex scene like two minutes later with absolutely no, you know, connective mm. tissue between those two scenes to give you <laughs> so any you idea of, the, of you know, nothing to bridge that at all. <laughs> and it, it was one of those things where there was a couple of things like that in the movie where you're just like, okay, hold on. Did we, mm. did we not film the scenes that needed to be here or did we not write them? So, uh, it's, it's a movie that I want to go back and rewatch. It's something I've got in my hands on another copy of it because I want to sit down and, mm. and rewatch it. It was released over here on DVD, probably 15 years ago and i think the disc is probably out of print at this point but uh that's the most recent uh mm-hmm. wa- you know wax museum movie mm-hmm. that i can think of or wa- kind of I think kind when of now film. when did that well i guess was that when, that did, was when, did, when did the remake of house of wax come out well, see, that, after that, that that was 2005 i think mm-hmm. which and i, I are you I not get, or are you just not counting <laughs> well i guess you can count it i mean it's not nearly as horrible as a lot of people want to make it that's out actually what i've also, heard i've heard it's, it's not a, it's not a horrible film it's got yeah. a couple of dumb ideas in it but it's not terrible it's also mm-hmm. not great mm-hmm. uh and uh the the <laughs> i have to say the literal house of wax is one of the dumber ideas i've ever seen in a movie in my life but <laughs> yeah, the uh the doesn't uh, real stand up to close uh, inspection yeah yes yeah. yeah, like i don't know that that anybody would have thought that was a smart <laughs> idea but uh the uh it's one that I, I probably will revisit one day, but I remember not being overly impressed by it mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Uh, although there were some, I remember mm-hmm. some effective stuff in it, but uh, so that would have been like I think two thousand five. Yeah. So there, there's that. There, like I say, there are a couple of other one that I one that I've always enjoyed, um, and it's 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 pretty obscure. I haven't seen it in years, uh, but uh, the Horrors of the Black Museum. Have you? you oh yeah, do you yeah Remember yeah, that definitely. one? That, yeah. I think that was the one with wasn't that the one with Cameron Mitchell? I think in it, uh, or am I thinking of something? Michael Gow, I thought. Maybe it was Michael Gow. There's one what, with Cameron a, Mitchell, isn't it? Oh well, yeah, yeah. It's called Nightmare and Wax. That's the one. Okay, you're thinking of Nightmare that's the one and Wax I'm from of. Uh, Nightmare 63. and Wax. Yeah. Now see, that's one yeah. that needs to be like. I would love to see get like a decent Blu-ray re- release or something. I just or just a release of any kind. I mean, I just but that's one that I've always uh, also known as Crimes in the Wax Museum. Yeah, it's actually one that I'm not sure I've seen, and and, it, and I'd love to see it because I love Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, it's 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 uh, it's pretty great. It's it's a pretty grim little film. Pretty 1969. Nasty film. Used to, yeah, 1969. They, so. Used to show up. Yeah, they used to show it on Channel 17 here in Nashville, and uh, and I haven't seen it since those days. Uh, but I always enjoyed it when it came on. So cool, cool. But yeah, that's that's one that uh, has, but, has 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 escaped me up yeah. to now. But but the one you're talking about, I've also wanted to see too. The one with Michael Gow. That's one I've never seen. The Horrors, but Horrors of the Black, Black Museum. Museum isn't a wax museum film. Oh, it's not. It's, okay, uh, it's, it's more a, like a, a, oh, I guess the Black Museum. Black is Museum. The, the, it's the London the Scotland Black, Yard. The Scotland Yard Black Museum that's right, of that's uh, right. you know you know different uh, things used right. by used by criminals. It's the it's kind of the 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 uh, museum of artifacts of crime mm-hmm. as opposed to a wax museum. So. 
Interesting film, though, well worth seeing. With Michael Gow doing his, his best his, nasty his, bastard yeah. <laughs> performance. And it's just always so much fun. Uh, there were several of, the, several of those films. There was so, that and Conga. And uh, God, mm. there was at least one other where Michael Gow was mm-hmm. essentially hired to be the most disgusting yeah. villain humanly imaginable. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. just revels in it. Mm. It's always funny. Years later, he pops up playing Alfred. Plays in Alfred. The, the Burton Batman <laughs> films. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's kind of weird to see you doing this. Uh-huh. I could buy you as Alfred now that you're old and yeah. probably couldn't stab somebody in the face. So it's all good. <laughs> but uh, so, so, so this film, what, this film yeah. Wax, is a combination of Wax Museum films. Yeah. Because it takes place completely in a Wax Museum except for a few flashbacks here and there. Right. Uh, it is a found footage film right. for the vast majority. As a matter of fact, I think... Almost all the way through, they do they do keep the the found footage conceit pretty consistent, mm-hmm. unless I'm forgetting something. No, for the most part, it's 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 no, you're right. I mean, it's 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 pretty much yeah. Everything is either seen seen some way or another through a camera that mm-hmm. is that is a, re, a either real character is holding or one that he's set up to yeah. to take you know or one of the surveillance cameras right, right. inside surveillance, the museum yeah, itself. Yeah. So uh, it's 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 part wax museum film. It's part. Uh, yeah, found footage. And found then, footage film, and it is also part cannibal movie, which is not is. something that I was expecting at all. It is. It's you're right. There's that aspect. I'd also say it's it's part uh, it's part. Uh, I won't say ghost story, but the setup of the common spend the, is sort of the ghost story setup of you spend the night in a you know if if, if somebody is dared or paid or whatever to spend the night in in some place oh, that it's, is repeatedly it's, haunted. It's like, so it's yeah. that genre too. It's like Ghost of Mister Chicken with gore. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's which is. Horrible. Now I'm picturing you know the main character being played by Don Knotts. So. <laughs> it's terrible. It's just terrible. It's just terrible. Hey, we're not gonna be able to clean it up with Bobby. Don't need my spleen. It's terrible. Yeah, it's like <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, also uh, I, you could. I mean, I think it could. I think you could probably also fit it in the whether you consider this a genre or not. I mean, it gets mentioned a lot as the the whole torture porn. Yeah, oh, genre that's coming kind of, definitely fits in that. It fits in with that 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 genre, so I mean, there we have four right there. So yeah, so it's it's a yeah. it is it's, it's kind of a, a little and very much in the spirit of Paul Nashie. It's a mix of it's a heady stew, a mix of <laughs> heady brew, a mix of a lot of different ingredients there. It's true, it's true, and uh, some sometimes these things work together, and sometimes they don't. I, mm-hmm. I will say that I think that uh, the the ideas behind the film uh, that are used to combine these various elements are fairly clever. Yeah. Uh, I'm not yeah. unhappy with the, with, the, with the, the way they decided to no. try to piece these various pieces of different genres together into one mm. story. It's not too bad. No. Well, all right, let's talk about this film, uh, in some specifics, uh, showing that it's definitely 2014. The movie starts off mm-hmm. with a completely nude and very shaved <clears throat> woman yeah. Yeah. strapped to a surgical table. Mm-hmm. Uh, gagged with uh, wax, what looks like some kind of wax, probably candle wax, uh, over her eyes, yeah. sealing them shut. As we hear a voiceover, uh, someone who's obviously filming this woman strapped down to this surgical table mm-hmm. and talking to her. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, if you don't recognize that voice, you have uh, not been paying attention to yeah. Spanish horror and or really just uh, European exploitation films made That's in the right. 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you haven't been, it just you, you just yeah. haven't been paying attention at all because it's yeah. definitely no other voice other than Jack Taylor. Yes. Now, this movie has the it has probably the maximum allowable Jack Taylor mm-hmm. that it's 
that's legal for yeah. any, any movie, any single movie. Uh, because generally, Jack Taylor is uh, used, uh, except uh, in the seventies when he mm. could uh, he could be uh, he could be the star of a movie. Yeah, he's generally been used as a supporting player, a mm. character actor, part of an ensemble cast. Yeah. Right, right, right. Someone to add spice mm. to a movie. Right. Uh, I believe the before this, the most recent film that I had seen him in was in a really neat little. Uh, Supporting role in the Ninth Gate, right? Uh, he was, yeah, with Johnny Depp, sure. in, uh, I yeah. think like ninety nine, that mm-hmm. Roman Polanski film. Yeah, but although uh, although that is true, that's the most recent time that I'd seen him before sitting down to watch Wax. Boy, is this guy busy! Uh, mm. I mean, holy crap! I started looking at his uh, resume, mm. and uh, he had three movies. Well, okay, he had uh, this movie. A short film and a and a TV series uh, episode come out d- wow. that he did last year. It's awesome. Uh, he did uh, three movies in 2013. Uh, he just did a whole lot of TV, a single a single Spanish TV series in 2012. So that must have kept him a little busy. But uh, there, you you keep going back and looking through his filmography, and he has worked steadily for his entire damn career, including mm. the past 10 or 15 years mm. as he has gotten older and older. Mm. And like I say, I've seen none of these films, although some of them I've been curious about. Uh, Goya's Ghosts I've heard of from 2006. Mm. And uh, A to Z uh, sounds very interesting, although I've not been able to see it. But you look at that and you go back and you go, okay, yeah, there he was. No, that's awesome. Yeah. In uh, The Ninth Gate. But he was also in uh, Ridley Scott's 1492. His Christ- that's the his uh, Christopher Columbus film. Yeah. Uh, he was in The Return of the Musketeers and a bit role in 89. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you go back, and of course, then you get to one of my favorite things, which is uh, one of my under my underknown uh, Spanish horror films, Edge of the Axe from 1988. Yeah, I've heard you mention which that it, one before. Yeah, yeah. It is such a neat mm-hmm. little slasher film that got shot here in the United States. Hmm. With uh, Edge of the Axe, uh, Jack Taylor is a—he's—he's he's not the main character in the film, but he's got a really nice little—he's uh, uh, got a nice little role in it, and he gets to play uh, some really great scenes along with uh, with uh, Patty Shepard. Oh, nice, nice. And oh, uh, I always like seeing her too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just such a great film. It was, it was done by uh, Jose Larraz. And Edge of the Axe is just one of those films that I just think is fantastic. But uh, we could talk about Jack Taylor. A, yeah, we could do oh, an well, episode. Listen, I mean, on oh just, gosh, we could do a Taylor on, on cast. Jack Taylor, Taylor. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> including, I, I would start with what was the first film I saw him in, and that would be Pieces, for God's sake. <laughs> and you never forgot it. And <laughs> as, I, as one does not forget, and as we keep threatening, does keep swearing someday we're going to do Pieces on this this show. There uh, was a so period of time when a lot of podcasts we, were covering Pieces, so, so I kind yeah, of felt we, we like might be treading well-covered ground mm, so mm. Uh, that has probably changed and I think that maybe sometime this year maybe we, we fit in a Beyond Nashi on, yeah. on pieces because wow <laughs> that was definitely my first Spanish horror film and holy crap uh, you start that chainsaw up and there she blows so yeah. back to wax mm-hmm. now that we've talked about Jack Taylor and pieces for God's sake mm-hmm. uh, it is definitely Jack Taylor and he establishes in this voiceover which basically is a voiceover as he is filming this this woman right. uh, telling her what he's going to do mm-hmm. that uh, he he is a cannibal he mm-hmm. surgically removes mm-hmm. 
uh, pieces of internal organs from his victims and cooks them and eats them. Yeah. And he's thoughtful enough to like let them in on the process, let them, you know, yeah. describe to them what's going on and you know what part of them he's going to eat next and all that. And there was a part of me, and it's never brought out in the film, I kept waiting for him in some, you know, in one of his many cool little monologues to explain that the reason he does what he does is, uh, I don't know, maybe the adrenaline tenderizes the meat. I don't know. Maybe well, yeah. it, makes it, t- makes it tastier. I have no idea. But he, he certainly, he's certainly very calm. Uh, yeah. His entire performance, he never raises his voice. Yeah. He's very, very good at getting across some very terrifying yeah. ideas. And his, his, his vocal control in these sequences is wonderful because he conveys so much. Yeah. And he's so tender, mm. but... Yeah. Completely sadistic. Yeah, I know. You know on you know on some level he's he loves to he loves to torture people. I mean, you know on some level that yeah. he's and you kind of get the impression that there's maybe some definitely. I mean, you know, maybe we could also say this sort of fits in the uh, almost the genre of like uh, Nazi films or something. Or the so you know, even though there's not really a tie yeah. back to that, but just that sort of there seems to be something about his methods that sort of like recalls. You know Nazi experiments and Nazi, you know. Well, it Nazi definitely, it definitely is is, is uh, there's certainly a level of cruelty to this. But but you're right. He's he's always so on the surface. He presents it as like this is pure research. You know, you could almost believe that he thinks he's actually finding out things that are going to be useful for future researchers, <laughs> future studiers. Although you still know on some level he's just a completely sadistic bastard. You know, and then he's like he's really enjoying doing this. <laughs> okay, so we get that footage. Mm-hmm. Of him, do, of him doing that and setting up the camera and sitting there and eating mm-hmm. uh, some of the stuff that he's extracted from this victim while the victim is still alive. And uh, then we cut to uh, Geraldine Chaplin. Yeah, Who's great. an actress that I'm always happy to see. Oh, I know. I was really, it was very cool that they got her for this. It re- Well, it really kind of surprised me when I saw that she was in it because to me, the first, okay, the first movie I ever saw Geraldine Chaplin, Chaplin is she was playing the queen in the Three, three Musketeers. Same here. Same and here. she... she was always this almost ethereal beauty. She was mm, one of those yeah. women who was so pretty. Yeah. She was like a porcelain doll. Her mm. face was just flawless. And of course now she's much older mm-hmm. and still a, a really effective actress. Mm. And uh, of course we should notice, yes, Geraldine Chaplin is the daughter of Charlie, Charlie. Chaplin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so of course, yes, Hollywood nepotism. Let's, yeah. let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> But at the same time, let's not let's not forget that this woman has built a career yeah. Um, yeah. that is still ongoing, which really surprises me. I mean, yeah. she's got four or five movies coming out this year, which is shocking and surprising. But this is not a woman who, uh, you know, I mean, she, who knows how she got her first job, but my God, she has proven herself to be quite mm-hmm. the amazing mm-hmm. actress over the years. So not too long ago in The Orphanage, you know, she was in that, you know, which is which is terrific. She was oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot she was yeah. in that. Um, well, she, well, man, if we want to start, yeah. we want to start talking about movies she was in, I mean, she was in Nashville. Well, I was going to say, that's one of my favorite performances ever too, because again, it's such against type. I mean, you know, after seeing her as the queen, like you said, it's kind of this sort of ethereal right. sort of beauty. And then the, the, the reporter that she plays is just so clueless in Nashville. You know, she just does a great job. Man. Uh, she was in Dr. Jivago. Yeah, that's right. One of your yeah. favorite epic films. Yes, yeah, I do love yeah, that. Yeah. I do love that. Uh, but, uh. Uh, oh, Bill, uh, Buffalo Bill and the Indians. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that in the theater, actually. I, really? I yeah. haven't seen that. I, I haven't seen that my since dad watching it on commercial that. television, yeah. for God's sake. But, Very strange movie, as all Robert Altman films are. But it was <laughs> they, they do have a tendency to be, to be that yeah, way. It's just their ultimate-esque, we'll say. <laughs> oh, 
But Geraldine Chaplin, uh, oh, I forgot she was in Age of Innocence, Scorsese's Age of Innocence. Oh, now see, I'm, I've not gotten to see that. I oh, always, I really? always wanted to see that. That's a that's a hell of a movie. That is a really I'm, good I'm, film. I'm sure it is. I mean, it's Scorsese. It can't be that bad. So uh, yeah, yeah, there's a certain level beneath which it's not going to. See. And then I'm right. I believe I'm right that in the Chaplin with Robert Downey, doesn't she play she, Chaplin's mother? I think is that what it is? Or, or I know not, she's right? in she's, it, but yeah. I cannot remember the role feel like, she plays. Almost but feel like yeah, she, yeah. That she played his maybe his mother and Chaplin's mother, but yeah. Jolene Chaplin, still, I mean, yes, of course, she's she's quite, I mean, she was born in 1944, so this right. is a woman who mm-hmm. is, is far up in years, but she still has the same bone structure and the same face. She's just yeah. definitely an older lady. Yeah, yeah. And she's aging gracefully. She's yes. not, she's not, not like she's these not, so, Oh, my gosh, she oh, hasn't. No. That's one thing I thought was so cool is that she hasn't done the stretch your face, you know, oh, over know. your ass kind of, you know, like like procedures that they so many of them Thank do God. Now, she know, still yeah. looks like her. She's yes, just yes. gotten older. Right, right. From here you can see the entire museum. Are there cameras in every room? In all of them, yes. There are some blind spots. They are for unimportant people. Politicians. But if you get bored... If you get bored, there is a DVD player here where you can watch a film. And in there, there are some horror films. Well, Miss Chaplin plays uh, the producer. And what it is, is she's, uh, we first see her, she's on the phone with, uh, with someone and discussing the person who's going to be the main character. And uh, that is our setup for what we're doing here, mm-hmm. which is, this is a found footage reality-based TV show. It's a found footage movie based on footage shot for a reality-based TV show where they have this journalist, this TV personality mm-hmm. fellow uh, by the name of... What was Mike. The character? By the name of Mike, played by an American actor named Jimmy Shaw, actually. By the way, the whole film is in yeah. English. Yeah. There yeah. are a few, there are a few uh, lines in Spanish mm-hmm. uh, here and there, but in general, the entire film is in English, which is why, of course, it's a joy to hear Jack Taylor's voice. Yeah. But... Uh, what the, the premise is, is that uh, Mike has agreed to spend a night in this wax museum, film everything, and they're going to make a show out of it. And of course, what makes this the, the big deal is that apparently no one in the past has been able to get through more than about an hour or two alone inside the wax museum without just wanting to get the hell out. Mm-hmm. And they don't say that the place is haunted. It's just that apparently the atmosphere of a wax museum tends to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. So... What we have here is a guy who uh, has access to all the surveillance cameras that are set up inside the entire wax museum in each room. Uh, he sets up several cameras of his own, mm-hmm. and he carries around a camera as well. And he's uh, as the night goes on, he's doing uh, different different little uh, spots where he's talking about you know certain uh, setups within the uh, the museum, uh, some of the figures. Uh, what he thinks of some of the figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character's very clearly a fan of Universal horror movies. Mm-hmm. Wants to talk about those a little bit, yeah, and uh, uh, things of that nature. And so, what he is doing is just trying to get through the entire night. Uh-huh. Uh, after a certain point, you can see him kind of his energy kind of flag, and yeah, he starts to get a little bored. bored. Yeah, he's listening to some bored. music yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and this, that, and the other. And uh, it's actually kind of neat to uh, watch these w- watch this thing unfold to a certain degree because I have to admit uh, the actor, uh, although he's. Um, uh, he he's kind of undercut a couple of times by some bad editing in my in my opinion. He's actually a pretty personable and entertaining yeah. presence on screen. I actually like yeah. watching this actor yeah. on screen. I'd not yeah. seen him in anything before. Right. 
But yeah. he's actually a pretty good little actor. Mm-hmm. Like I say, he is an American, and uh, he's been in uh, uh, a number of movies, including uh, he had a small role in Lord of Illusions back in '95. Wow, that is going back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not as if uh, uh, it's not as if this guy doesn't uh, doesn't have some. Uh, uh, some history to his to his uh, perform to I mean to his mm. uh, career, but he's done mostly uh, television, yeah. a couple of pieces of of, of uh, a couple of short small pieces and uh, films here and there. But he apparently lives in Spain these days, mm. and it, most of his work is on Spanish television and, and TV miniseries and things of that nature, which is how he appears to be making his living mm. for quite some time. He spent four years on one TV series from 2010 to uh, just last year, and uh, apparently he's making a good living in Spain as a bilingual mm-hmm. actor. So that hasn't gone out with the old, you know, spaghetti westerns and the old, you know, death. We still got, you know, some actors still find it works for him. You know, apparently not, Mr. Shaw. <coughs> Mr. Shaw is definitely an example of that yeah. particular thing. So um, he, uh, as Mike, we are essentially he's our, he's our point character as we mm-hmm. watch him. Go through this evening. One of the things I like at the early, I'm sorry, one of the things oh, I like sorry, at the early is, uh, I, do, I like the scene where what's apparently the museum's actual proprietor, he, who's, oh, he's in a wheelchair, which yeah, is yeah, a, yeah. an obvious nod to, you know, to, to House of Wax, you know. Exactly. But it's, but it's nice because Mike is pushing him around the in his wheelchair uh, through the, as the, the proprietor is, is narrating uh, is, is kind of showing him around the museum and 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 definitely making it a point to make sure that Mike knows that that uh, that that there are things there that people you know that people some people are convinced the museum has a something there an atmosphere or something that makes them uncomfortable you know that they found creepy and he's he's kind of does a little bit of a trying to get Mike a little psyched up for the night you know by you know <laughs> yeah, kind of suggesting that he might might be in for a. a rough he might be night. in for a rough night. And but I like that guy the guy that's playing the proprietor is a neat little role uh-huh. there I like that. It's neat. Well, one of the things that he introduces us to in the first few minutes of the film is that uh, a very special wax figure within the uh, yeah. within the hall is uh, this uh, man. Uh, this man standing there. He's done up in like monk robes, mm-hmm. and uh, one look at his face, and it's pretty yeah. obvious who it is. And that <laughs> yeah. is definitely Mr. Paul Nashy. Mr. Nashy. Yeah. This yeah. is where we get. Like I say, this is a film. We're calling this a Paul Nashy film, but it is the least amount of Paul Nashy mm-hmm. in any film whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but but what is neat is uh, they have a rec- they have recordings of Nashi reading out bits of the Book of Revelation. Yeah, and that is what this uh, wax figure that is actually uh, an animatron, uh, an animatronic figure, mm-hmm. uh, says. If you if you get close to it, it activates and it speaks mm-hmm. some of these bits and pieces from the Book of Revelations. Now I was wondering where that that has not come from one of the films we've. Done though, right? I mean, or I don't has, I'm so, trying no. to. I would like no. to know what the source of like where Nashi and for what purposes. Oh, you've have you heard of? Guns well, of my Nashi? understanding is these are just recordings that uh, were made and they were used. They were old theatrical recordings of him reading, uh, possibly mm. you know, possibly just performing for for audio uh, mm. some different pieces of classical. Uh, Okay. Classical theater and mm-hmm. uh, bits, you know, it's kind of the creepier, scarier bits of the yeah. Book of Revelations, obviously, things of that nature. So that's where it comes. It's not from a film. Okay, it's uh, it's old recordings. It was recordings that were made for various and sundry other reasons. This one can predict your fortune. Try to get a little closer. Mm-hmm. Go. All right. Okay. 
Y cuando el cordero abrió el séptimo sello en el cielo, se hizo un silencio como de media hora. Y vi siete ángeles que estaban en pie delante de Dios. Y les fueron dados siete trompetas. Y los siete ángeles que tienen las siete trompetas se dispusieron a tocarlas. Okay, so what what it's just said is two verses from the book of Revelations. I didn't know that passage. I've never heard it before. How strange. They must have reprogrammed it. <laughs> must be something for the leap year. <laughs> you think so? I think it's a bad omen. I think it's a bad omen for you that has to spend the night here. So, uh, that is our Nashi um, participation within this film. And it's one of those neat things because it, it, he, they, he comes back to that figure a couple times throughout the film, and each time it says something different. Yeah. And uh, Isn't there one time, I think maybe even the first time, I guess the first time because the proprietor's there with him or something, but says he's never heard him say that. Duck, where he says something, the yeah. proprietor's like, I've never heard him say that before. You know? Yeah, he, he identifies it as, a, you know, he, he, yeah. he translates it into English, and he says, that's from the book of Revelations, but I've never heard the figure say that yeah. piece before. That's interesting. I also think it's kind of cool that every time this figure speaks, it's not subtitled, which I thought was actually yeah. kind of neat. Somebody has to yeah. actually. Yeah. Somebody has to actually mm-hmm. say, "Oh, you know, why? Why did it say? You know, mm-hmm. explain the explain the explain the Spanish into English." And uh, that's that that is that is kind of neat because it's really the only instance, uh, except for just a couple of little pieces in some of the flashbacks that are not in English, right? Uh, because the film really is kind of like ninety six or seven percent English language. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about. We've talked about how the film is a, a kind of a combination of various different types of horror genres. I mean, mm. we got a little bit of cannibal. We got uh, hints of kind of ghostly stuff mm. and supernatural things. We've got uh, found footage as a genre being being put in our face. And it's definitely a wax museum film. But one of the things I found interesting is that uh, they're using the found footage element of it to kind of also play with our expectations of the reality TV genre, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, very much so. In that... Periodically throughout the night, Geraldine Chaplin's character, the producer, is calling up Mike mm-hmm. on a phone that is rigged so that he can't call out. Right. He can only receive calls, but he can't call out. And he's locked in the museum. And he's too. locked in the museum. He can't get out. And so periodically throughout the evening, Geraldine Chaplin's character is calling him to check on him. Mm-hmm. And every, you know, the, the first couple of times she calls, the first time it's just you know kind of a check in, and he's like, "Well, there's." You know, it's, Kind of creepy here, and with each phone call after that, she's she's emphasizing to him, look, yeah, yeah, just remember, just to film it all, get it all, yeah. get it all, you know, get it all in the camera, and uh, yeah. we'll cut it all together. This sounds this sounds like it's going to be great, and so there's that that beautiful element of no matter what, mm-hmm. no matter what you think is happening, no matter how this feels to you, get it all on video yeah. because we're going to be able to use this mm-hmm. for later. And I, and I love that because that's part of the, uh, the kind of meta thing that I like about some of the more interesting found footage films, which is that if this really is kind of uh, quote-unquote found footage and people are piecing it together to try to figure out what happened after the fact, well, it's almost a study in sadism of the people who are encouraging this person to continue yeah. to film this stuff. And so that's not something that a lot of those movies want to get in, really want to get into mm. because... That's a level of uh, 
it's a level of self-examination that means that you are eventually going to have to take that mirror and turn it around. Yeah. And stop yeah. and stop just looking, you know, stop looking into what the mirror mm-hmm. uh, is showing you behind you that's creeping mm-hmm. you out, but you're going to have to look into your own eyes and realize I'm wanting to look at this. I'm wanting to watch this thing happen. Yeah. And that's something that I think is neat because the uh, the producer character really kind of is that voice mm-hmm. of the audience mm-hmm. going, "No, keep filming. No, keep filming. Yeah. No, keep filming." Yeah. And because we want to see, we want to see, we mm-hmm. do want to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a definite, uh, I mean, level of ruthlessness to the producer, you know. Yeah. Right she's, you know, she's she's definitely uh, wants things. She wants something to happen, obviously, for the ratings. You know, she wants something to happen for oh, the yeah, audience. She, she said, oh, oh, that's great if you're getting creeped out or if there's mm. weird sounds or something. Make sure, you, yeah. get, you know, keep it up. That's great. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's relate the fact that this, uh, this cannibal doctor... Mm-hmm. Who we are introduced to in the first scene of the film, Doctor Knox, you know, which is he's, yeah. he's known as Doctor Knox. He has been caught as of the beginning of the film and is mm. locked up in prison, mm. and is awaiting extradition to the United States for some reason. They never mm. they never explain exactly mm. why he's going to be extradited to the United States, which is interesting. It means is he from the states, and mm. therefore, I mean, is he you know an American citizen who was finally caught doing these heinous mm-hmm. things in a foreign land is there some faction that's interested in his research and is the, is oh, no. the Ameri- you know, right and well also remember this is uh, this is clearly identified as Barcelona this is the Barcelona wax museum they yeah. make it very yeah. clear that this is in Spain yeah so that's why it would have to be extradited back to the states this is not a European production pretending that this yeah, takes right, place right right no you're right that's right it is yeah See, now Spain has progressed now to where they admit that they have cannibal doctors, you know, in, that cannibal doctors can but exist. But they're foreign, in, obviously But foreign. they he's an American, that's right, because no, <laughs> no, no, no homegrown doctor would, would he. Would he well, now that brings up a good point, which is the idea that in the late 60s, early 70s, you couldn't have you yeah. couldn't have a Spanish werewolf. He had to be Polish yeah, or whatever, exactly. Or yeah. the the evil scientists had to be Germans. Yeah, and it's like in this, it's like well, you know they, they could have made the they could have made him a German character, but it's like yeah. well, no. Then you get into the whole Nazi BS, yeah. and that's really yeah. gauche, especially if you're going to yeah. have him be a, a mad doctor <laughs> torturing scumbag. So oh wait, 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 well, let's make him American. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's not like there aren't enough villainous Americans. I mean, there's yeah. 250 million of us, so surely to God, it won't bother that many people. Yeah. Anyway, and the world hates us a lot. That's like that's the one villain that universally will be accepted. Is you know, it's kind of like here in American films, people won't accept a villain unless he speaks. In a German or English, at least, or like accent, uh, yeah. an, but an it's English a, accent works for sure. Yeah, German, yeah. and you know, uh, yeah. Russian. You always know, have Russian accent. Russian's always good. But I think around the rest of the world, the most acceptable villain is an American one because true, every true, every country true. can believe that American is is, a, is an asshole. So yeah, <laughs> it's not real hard to figure out. No. Let's just give them a Texas accent. Yeah. My God, that guy's <laughs> this guy's a scumbag. <laughs> but what we have next is that. Uh, we see some news reports about uh, about Doctor Knox, and this gives us this fills us this fills in some of the details about uh, this man's rather heinous exploits, mm-hmm. and how he uh, he filmed all he filmed all of these things that he did to people. And it's almost it's almost always women, but several several uh, instances we are shown that he actually did capture and torture and eat uh, some young men as well. Yeah. Um, they make it clear that Miss that uh, Doctor Knox is obsessed with uh, the Vincent Price film House of Wax Mm -hmm. and actually dresses himself in the same way as the villainous character of that film Mm -hmm. but with the slouch hat and the black cloak Mm -hmm. and uh, it is really really neat Uh, and it looks really cool Mm -hmm. and uh there are some. There are some. The, the film. The film really is, in a lot of ways, a, a love letter to a lot of classic horror films. It is. 
but it's but it's very modern in its sensibilities and in the way it's shot. Through some of the uh, the uh, videos of Doctor Knox torturing his various victims, we learn some of the details of what he does, not just mm-hmm. the the cannibalistic aspect of it and things of that nature, and how he almost. He almost lovingly comments on uh, the taste and texture of the yeah. things that he's eating. Yeah. Uh, to to both the camera that yeah. he has set up to record these yeah. things, and to also his victims who are still conscious at the yeah. time. At one point, he's he's he tells us that he's going to eat a meat that's that's gone rancid. You know that, that that's gone oh, know. spoiled. You know he wants to try that out and see how that. You know, because a, he he remarks that it's. Um, it's considered a delicacy in yeah. in, cer- in certain portions of the in certain yeah. places in the world, and mm-hmm. but the. Uh, um, the doctor points out in one of his videos that uh, one of his trademark things is he does gag his victims, of course. Yeah. And he uses a little red mm-hmm. ball. Mm-hmm. And at one point during the night, while uh, Mike is walking around the Wax Museum, getting a little bored, actually, yeah. uh, he finds... Well, actually, he finds it on I the, think it on the desk. Mixing, uh, inside the control, inside like the control room. Sound it. Yeah, he finds it by the mixing desk. He mixing finds uh, one of these little red balls uh-huh. that looks exactly like the mm-hmm. little red balls that Dr. Knox used mm-hmm. on his victims. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, it doesn't really weird him out. It does, yeah. It's just a little red ball and he starts playing with it and there's mm-hmm. this funny little bit where he rolls it at the camera that he set that on the floor. To, yeah. <laughs> um, and then he places it in the uh, the hand of the wax figurine mm-hmm. of, uh, of Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And throughout the film we're getting flashbacks to Mike's past as well. Mm-hmm. We see his wife and his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his wife is Spanish, which mm-hmm. would be an explanation for uh, an American living in Spain. Uh, and um, the the things we learn through these flashbacks is just how much he cared about his wife. And at a certain point, uh, we, are, uh, we, we, we learn that uh, things became strained in their relationship uh, for reasons that are never spelled out, mm-hmm. and that unfortunately his wife is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, something happened to her, and she passed away. Now, there's never any hints of uh, violence from on his part, but uh, it it gives us the information that this is a man who maybe just maybe has thrown himself really really hard into his work, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. would be a reason why he would want, he would want to do something like <laughs> stay yeah, up all yeah. night in a wax museum and film right. it for a television show. Yeah, and and I think we can add to the many many genres uh, uh, as the film goes on. We we recognize a little bit. This becomes kind of a psychological thriller as well as yeah. all the other aspects it's got going on. As he becomes more and more aware of something paranoid or aware that something unusual is going on there, you know, he begins to kind of lose his grasp on. You know, he becomes a little more frazzled, and and I think you know, I think it's a good. I like that. I think they progress that pretty well. You know, they the way his did, character, yeah. you know, does it. You know, yeah. and and there's always some the way he plays the characters. There's always a little something, a little fragile about his character that kind of comes through. I think you know, from the very first, you know, is there's. Well, they introduce when they introduce him. We give him a sense that he does have a, a pretty neat little, a pretty neat sense of humor. Yeah, and it yeah. shows that he he's 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 playful, but mm-hmm. there does seem to be something that's a little. Uh, a little dark behind his eyes, something mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that there's a sadness there. And yeah. then as we yeah. learn slowly that you mm-hmm. know he and his wife aren't together again, and that actually, wait a minute, his wife has actually passed away. Yeah, we start to understand because we don't have any timeline. We don't know how long ago the you know mm-hmm. her death occurred, but we definitely know that it was a while before now. And so that uh, that that sadness starts to creep in, and it's and it's there, and you can kind of see that his humor is something mm-hmm. that. Is not just for the camera, but it's also probably kind of a self-defense mechanism. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, one of the neater things, uh, we've talked about how many, uh, they, they're using footage from the surveillance cameras inside the, mm -hmm. the Wax Museum, his mm -hmm. own handheld camera, some right. cameras that he has set up himself on tripods in certain rooms. And what this does, there, there's the there's the flashback footage that stuff that he shot on a, on a different type of camera, mm -hmm. and there's the video footage that Doctor Knox shot that they that we get flashes of periodically. We get whole sequences where uh, we see uh, this 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 these sequences with him and his victims, mm -hmm. and it's um, neat that each of those cameras has a different look. You know yeah. what you know what perspective you're being shown, yeah, just from the look of it because. The uh, the surveillance videos mm. are uh, <clears throat> are black and white. Mm. Uh, there's a there's a different kind of sharpness to the cameras that Mike has set up and the one mm. that he carries. Uh, then there's uh, an obvious v visual difference in uh, the the other footage as well. And so just within a couple of seconds, within 15 minutes of the movie. Uh, you've got a sense of immediately what you're looking at and what perspective yeah. it's taken from. Yeah. And so that's also well done and very effective and it's blended well. It is because one of the, if I know we've seen a lot of found footage films now out there and yeah. it's amazing how many of them still continue to be effective and well done and how many different ideas that come with that that have, you know, that have managed to do a lot of different interesting takes on that idea. But one of the things that this film kind of incorporates, yes, there are scenes where he's holding his camera and so there's a lot of the handheld kind of thing there but it doesn't go on so much like I mean if, if you're if you're put off by that kind of film where sometimes a little bit of that goes a long way or it starts to actually give you a headache or whatever it gets you like or yeah. just become a little you know um, it's mixed in with again like we said all this footage that's from these fixed cameras and that gets kind of into something that I thought was effective about that I think it was effective or uh, about uh, like the first say paranormal activity film is because when you set up a static camera like that, the minute you go to that, the viewer automatically begins darting, their eyes begin looking into every corner, waiting for something to happen, begin looking right. into something, and that's kind of, there's a lot of scenes of just, when it goes to one of those static cameras, just looking at a hallway of these wax figures, you know, and, and, and Mike isn't even anywhere around, it just cuts to one of those, just to where he's not even in that part of the, you know, of the museum, you begin to immediately search for something to move or to see something that's not supposed to be there. And I could feel like when I saw the first Paranormal Activity film, you know, every time that the couple would set that camera and go to bed, you could feel the audience all just kind of draw back, like, you yeah, know, push, to kind of get them to push back, back because seats, they're yeah. suddenly become instantly tense, you know, waiting for what's going to happen. And I think that there's a little bit of this too, is it's like maybe not as much of that tense, tension, but creepiness, but more of just kind of, you're really trying to catch, you think that you may any second, see something that's you know that's that's not there you well know. it's 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 an odd it's an odd thing with these uh, with these found footage films with the static with the static mm. cameras that happen throughout you know at, at different points because you're right one of the things that you're right once you go to one of those static shots mm. you do kind of push yourself back but i think it's a combination of what you were talking about mm. uh it's a pure it's a purely uh there, there's that there's that fear that that tension that you're mm -hmm. talking about that causes you to kind of push mm -hmm. yourself back in your seat but also for me i know one of the reasons i do that is i am doing what you were talking about before is i'm my eyes are darting around the image yeah and if i'm in a movie theater and i'm wanting to do that i almost kind of it's it's ridiculous because I can't really move myself further back from the <laughs> but image. But you're wanting to but take I'm it out. To, yeah. I'm wanting to push myself further back so that it's more easy, quote unquote, in my head. Yeah, yeah. Easier for me yeah. to dart my eyes around and see the entire image. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And so that's another one of those things that I know is, is that I've noticed in myself in yeah. those movies when I'll push myself back in yeah. my chair, going, uh-huh. "Wait a minute, I want to get the whole view here. <laughs> I want to see every bit of this image." Yeah. And it, yeah. you're right; that is something that happens when they're ed- in this film mm. and any one of these films where they're mm. editing between different types of cameras, fo- different types of camera footage, different perspectives. Mm. You get that, and that's a natural part of just plain editing in mm. television or film, which is changing perspective immediately gives you. Uh, you, it, you get better and better at, re- at adjusting to the change in perspective. It's mm-hmm. one of those things that you know early, <laughs> early in the silence when we yeah. were first when people are first learning how to make films. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Changing perspective and will will people be able to follow this? Will yeah. they be able to understand? <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, we can follow this. It's one of those things that the eye and the brain really yeah. catches up too fast. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the 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 way it get pl- gets played with in this film and the way it gets played with in some different some different found footage films is that not just for a, a jump shock, not just a you know kind mm-hmm. of a kind of a smash cut that, that puts something in your face, mm-hmm. but to bring your attention to something that sometimes it's a red herring, sometimes it's mm-hmm. something that's just there to throw you off off balance. Sometimes it's just to add some tension to something as a misdirect, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. fun too. It is, yeah. And uh, it's done pretty well in this movie. It is they, yeah. because they set themselves up with a lot of different cameras, mm-hmm. and it's and one of the neat things about this movie, and it's not it's not always true of a lot of found footage films, is all the cameras are plausible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. There's never a point in this movie yeah. where you're going. I don't understand why mm-hmm. we're being. I don't see yeah. how we. I don't how see do how we we're see, able to how see we this. seeing this. Yeah. 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 Well, how did, how is this perspective even even logical or likely? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's never a question in this film. Honestly, every one of the cam- pieces of uh, footage that we see is something that makes sense within the context mm-hmm. of the film and makes logical sense within the context of what would be what would be available to be mm-hmm. seen after the fact. Mm-hmm. So that's neat as well. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm pleased with that because um, <laughs> every couple of years uh, I'll be listening to a podcast or, or reading mm-hmm. some piece on on horror or or mm-hmm. genre fiction in general, and yeah. someone will you know make some casual statement about well not. <sighs> I don't really like. I'm getting tired of found footage films and this. And it's like, yeah, I occasionally get tired of them too when I'm watching one that sucks. Yeah, 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 yeah. But exactly. You, it all comes down yeah. to what you do. Like I said, I've been really surprised by how I continually keep stumbling over yeah. more and more of them that are that. I mean, that they've continued to stretch this. That really began. Not that it was the first one, but obviously the Blair Witch Project is the one that kicked the whole craze off. And they still keep coming out with these films, and it's amazing how many of them have been of pretty high quality and are worth seeing. You know, I saw one in, like just last year. I didn't. I don't think it came out last year. I think it was made earlier. But that one, the Bay. Oh, the Bay, the Bay, which is me. which is fantastic. You know, that was made by Barry Levinson. Yes, I know. Barry Levinson's a heavy hitter in film. I mean, well, so even yeah. he got into even he got into doing one. The of The Bay films. was the Bay was amazing. Really yeah. good. Yeah. I was really impressed by that. And that's another one of those films where when you're seeing all this footage. It, it, it's plausible. Mm. All the footage makes sense. That what you're, you know, what you're seeing mm. is like when they're when you're on the boat with the marine biologist and they're they're documenting. Okay, here's mm. what we, yeah, here's what we brought up and here are the measurements and this. Yeah. In other words, just part of their research. We're, yeah. we're videoing yeah. this stuff mm. while while we're here, you know, talking about it. And this, mm. All this different stuff. Uh, yeah, you're right. Because a lot of the films example. sometimes do have to fall into. They find themselves where they have to have the character who's annoying all the other characters because he insists on filming everything. And right. It's not that, and usually they have to kind of come up with an excuse. Of just like he's insisting, like people have to know this, or this is just, or or they create it as something that he's doing to distance himself from the horror of what's going yeah. on. Is like to continue to, and you can, it's an it's a valid excuse, 
but it's 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 but there it's are some not times, something you can you can't pull that trigger to no off. exactly and there's there have been a couple of found footage films even some of them that I really enjoyed where there's been a couple of moments where you just kind of like I can't buy I can't that the buy character's going to hold there were some moments like that in Cloverfield now Cloverfield I enjoyed yeah. very much but there are some of the moments where they're just like no, nah, I just can't see that the person would 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 hold would keep. Yeah, Cloverfield this. has actually one of my favorite little uh, jokes that people have to point out to you if you're not yeah. paying attention, though, which oh, yeah. is that the character who's always filming things, mm-hmm. his name is HUD, which is short for heads up display. Oh, now see, I didn't. Yeah, I did not. I, that's pretty cool. And I always I never thought got that, that, that that's pretty good. I was like thirty minutes into that film and somebody referred to him as HUD for like mm-hmm. the twelfth or thirteenth yeah. time, and I was just like, yeah, mm-hmm. HUD. Heads up display. <laughs> oh, you bastards. That's clever. Yeah. That's clever. Because if yeah. he's our point of view character throughout yeah. the film, and he is. And he is. It's, yeah. It's like, a, yeah. Okay. All that's right. pretty good. I, I, I didn't know that either, but that's, that's, that's yeah. This is like, oh, that's, that's not yeah. <clears throat> so that's that's neat to, to mm-hmm. realize that you know it's mm-hmm. possible to put that kind of thought into something. It's just a little clever thing that doesn't change anything in the movie. Yeah, right. It yeah. doesn't alter a single thing. Mm-hmm. It just shows that the people writing it are going, yeah. Hey, we're all aware uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> of what sure. we're doing here, yeah. so let's not pretend. Right. Uh, but back to uh, back to wax. Mm-hmm. Um, when he discovers that the the wax ball, I mean, the little red ball is missing from the wax figure of Alfred Hitchcock. That's yeah. when the movie kind of makes it shift. Takes into another ratchet up into something. Yeah, that he, right. yeah. yeah, it gets into what you would refer to uh, you referred to earlier as the uh, kind of psychological thriller portion mm-hmm. of things, which is okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. He becomes convinced. Okay, somebody's in here with me. Yeah, and things kind of escalate from there. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I forget at which point. Because, folks, as tempting as it is to spoil this film, I think we'll stop ourselves short from going all the way because it is a recent film. This film just came out. Yeah, yeah. And so I really would feel kind of guilty um, revealing all. It's an easy film to get your hands on, but you're right. Most of you know, it's just one just now starting to make the rounds. Right, right. This thing just came out on video within the past couple of months. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable kind of spoilerizing the whole damn thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, there comes a point where the the main character Mike learns uh, that Doctor Knox has escaped from prison. Yeah, which the information is fed to him by the only person who could, which is the, the producer. producer. And she calls him periodically and she tells him that Doctor Knox has escaped from prison. Yeah, right. And that's that's probably the highest point that we should get to, I guess, as far as right maybe where we want to go because you know he's already started to notice weird things going on in this wax museum. And that piece of knowledge right there just yeah. Yeah. makes things escalate. Yeah. And in fact, and 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 in fact, she's. I think it's also at that point that she he tells. I mean, she basically tells him that they're going to send the police to try and, and get him out or something, or that yeah, you know they're yeah. going to yeah. So from there, from there on, the film uh, escalates sharply. Yeah, and there are some wonderfully creepy moments mm. with within the film at that point. That, um, and I'm just going to say this: there's a, there's a point at which there is a there is an actual wax figure of yeah uh, Doctor Knox in the wax museum. And it's very clearly. Oh, I'm sorry. Our my my cat Today. Katie has decided it's time to open my closet door. <laughs> Katie, come here, you stupid cat. Okay, uh, perhaps we should take a kitty break while I control the stupid animal. Hang on. Hi, I'm Mike, and this is the Barcelona Wax Museum. I'll be spending the next several hours in here, locked in, which means that you will be too. <laughs> Here we can find some of the most horrific criminals, murderers of all time. 
Well, you know who Dr. Knox is, don't you? He's actually named after a 19th century anatomy lecturer from Edinburgh who purchased corpses from the, the murderers Burke and Hare, who are actually known as the Westport Killers. Here, behind us here, we have a screen in which Dr. Knox relates some of his most ghastly adventures, which I thought we'd you know, check out before we continue with the tour. And go. The most satisfactory way of eating someone is keeping them absolutely fresh when life hasn't quite drained from the body. Yes, here we are again. In the meantime, I have been carefully extracting fragments of our patient's organs, who is still alive. But I like photographing myself with my victims dressed this way. Perhaps you perceive it to be rather extravagant. But the truth is... Okay, that's way too harsh for a museum the kids visit. I mean, I think it's something special that they set up for me tonight. But still, it's really horrible. I think that's just about enough of that. Anyway, I've heard that little speech before, Dr. Knox. Well, moving right along, we'll continue with our world-famous murders in just a little while, not forgetting the great Dr. Knox, of course, and I'm just going to leave this camera set up right here. Well, we've now decatified my closet. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, she's now in my lap and quite yeah. happy. Yeah. Uh, have no fear, there's no torture of the cat going on. No one is extracting any, any mm. organs from the cat to eat. <laughs> she's just happy to be in my lap and wants yeah. her ears scratched. Yeah. <laughs> Silly ass cat. Of course, now she's so content she won't make a noise, and so people will think she's silent. She must be. She must have been killed. <laughs> Quick, send the police. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, in wax, one of the things that I would like to uh, like to praise the film for is there's a there are a number of moments in the film, at least three or four, that are neat, unique, creepy moments. Mm -hmm. One of them is when the wax figure of Doctor Knox. Which looks just oh, it's an incredible right. figure. I mean, it's, it's really which well is great done. because every time it shows it, you suddenly expect that it's going to be the real one or something because it looks so it's so well done. Well, there is that moment when, through uh, one of the cameras, it does move. Yeah, it walks yeah. off of it. Just pedestal. walks off of it. Yeah. And walks past the camera, mm -hmm. and it's just one of those beautiful holy hell moments. Yeah. yeah. And uh, another moment that I think is fantastic is we we talked about how. Uh, Throughout the Wax Museum, it's not just uh, a Wax Museum of horrors, uh, you know, oh, yeah, murders and things like yeah. that. There's all kinds of different things yeah. throughout it. And one of the figures we're shown early on is a really cool one of Pinocchio, mm -hmm. which is uh, you know take during part of the Pinocchio story when he's being partially transformed into a donkey, so he's got the big, big ears, ears and everything. That, yeah. Well, there comes a moment where Mike is looking down a hallway. And he sees what, in this wonderful forced perspective shot, looks mm. like it could be Dr. Knox mm -hmm. in that slouch hat and the cape. Yeah, yeah. And it really looks perfect. Yeah. And the camera stays on it as he creeps nearer to it. And you realize that, no, it's the, the Pinocchio, Pinocchio figure yeah. just in the dark. And it, yeah. what looks like the ear of the donkey just look like the slouch hat. <laughs> and that's one of those great yeah. moments because it's neat and creepy when you first see it down that hallway yeah. as a silhouette. 
And then as you get closer, it is it's clear that that's just a clever design. Yeah, that was really well done. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Very that was a very well well done scene. But um, <clears throat> I fear that with that, I have actually spoiled one of the neater creepy moments in the movie. <laughs> so I apologize if that is true, and it probably is. But um, <clears throat> the um, the uh, the movie is well. Let's just say it's short. It's it's an hour and uh, I think twenty minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, now to get down to brass tacks to to talk to talk turkey mm-hmm. about this thing, right? Uh, to throw out a, a, a third cliche, if I can manage it, good lord, brass tacks, talk mm-hmm. turkey. <laughs> if I can go for another cliche, it's like mm-hmm. the trifecta of, of gibberish here. <laughs> uh, I apologize for that, folks, but hey, we all speak in silly, silly ways. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, what we thought of the film because I have to be honest. I think that in a lot of ways, this is a film that, uh, as short as it is, it's still over long. It's, yeah, it's, um, even at the time, there's, there, you know, we've talked about the effectiveness of some of these down the corridor scenes, these scenes, but there's probably too, there's probably a little too many of them. There's probably too many, a little too many interludes where it kind of just reestablishes where we're at and looking back, you know, but between scenes of Mike, you know, and, and, uh, that could probably be shortened. I mean, it's, it's a very thin story. It's not to say it's a bad story. It's not to say it's no. not an interesting story. But there's not fairly, there's not yeah. enough there's not enough meat on the bone. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, honestly, you would probably have to have maybe more characters involved to have been able right. to stretch it out and pad. You know, and I know what that. I mean, you know, you almost have to have like several people in this place, and then you do the whole one by one. They did, you know. Well, what I what I thought would have been interesting. Would have been. There's a character at the very beginning of the movie, um, the bald black mm-hmm. character who mm-hmm. is there with Mike, um, uh, helping him get set up and uh, and ready. Yeah. Who's who's kind of reluctant, kind of assistant to, to Geraldine Chaplin's character to the producer, right. and kind of reluctant to leave him there honestly right. before right. he goes. And I would have thought it would have been interesting is if uh, that character were in the film for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that you get this kind of situation where you've got it, where it becomes for a little while at least kind of a two-hander where Mike and this character are talking to each other on a kind of regular basis and setting things up, mm-hmm. and it, it becomes something where there's a dialogue back and forth between the two of them before we switch to it just being him in the in the place. Yeah, yeah, it's. I feel like yeah, it's it's probably the film might have been more effective and, and get you in the gut more and maybe be more thrilling had it been about 30 minutes like more of a short film or something now and I understand why someone yeah. would want to do a full length film obviously obviously the market the places you can exhibit right. shorter film you know films aren't as much as, as a full length film but the, at the 80 minute mark it sort of feels like it's kind of stretching for that full length sort of mark and it well, doesn't see, I, quite I have enough to right right to I felt it, it would have been better suited even an hour would have been exactly better, exactly that's where I was going is I think it would have been better suited to be about an hour long mm-hmm. like it was an hour long TV show or something like right, that right right something like something like Ghost of, Watch or, or Masters of Horror yeah, yeah something yeah, like that yeah. you know an episode of Masters of Horror which is mm-hmm. it just feels that it's stretched a little too thin at times mm-hmm. and uh, what's there is clever and, 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 and in general a good idea but it's just mm-hmm. it's a little too thin for the length mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And that, and that's a shame because there's a lot of good things here. Yeah. Um, we've we've praised the things we like about it. Uh, some of the things that uh, I very much like about it is is we've talked about how uh, there's the the Nashy animatronic that's there mm-hmm. that that uh, occasionally speaks uh, throughout the movie. Uh, in the background, there's uh, 
there's like a, a, a Vengeance of the Mummy poster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At one point behind Geraldine Chaplin, which is kind of neat. And there are other little horror mm-hmm. nods throughout it, just because, well, obviously some of these wax museums set up some of these, uh, these, uh, the uh, kind of mm-hmm. horror, horror, pl- horror tableaus of various yeah. things throughout history yeah. uh, are, are direct nods to horror films mm-hmm. in particular, and he actually points out some of them. And some of them, I think it's great because they just show them to you without drawing too much attention to them. Because if you're yeah. a horror fan and you're watching this, you're going to know what they are. Yeah, but and it, but it is cool the way he, the way they give the very prominent mention to Paul Nashie yep. when he's showing all the different creatures, Universal Monster, but he says, and here we have Wolfman played by such and such, such and such, and of course the great Paul Nashie. It just kind of, you know, that's just nice to see. You know, uh-huh. it's just one, yet again another example of these filmmakers now uh, coming of age who grew up, you know, watching Nashy films and and, 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 and they're, yeah. they're giving him all the shout outs they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, see, again, you know, like I said, I love wax museums. I love art. And I wish that there were more, watching a film like this is always enjoyable to me because, you know, I wish there were more like haunted houses and places like that you could go into now where you could just enjoy the tableau like it used to be, you know, like it, like yeah. growing up, you know, like places like Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in Gatlinburg and I, when I was little, used to go yeah. there and I used to love just going through there slowly and looking at all the great displays and exhibits and of course, modern horror attractions now are, are, are all about the yelling at you, running at you and those are fun. I mean, you know, you can have a lot of fun with those but they're all about, of course, hurting people through and yeah. and yeah. they're all about the jump out scares and making people scream and you know, and like I said, those are fun but I wish that there were more I, because a lot of these uh, haunted attractions are are incredibly well done with incredible detail, but um, you know, I, 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 there's times when I just wish like there would be more of a kind of still that sort of old fashioned where you could kind of just walk through and just really enjoy and, and, and admire the create the craftsmanship that went into creating a wax figure or creating you know. I agree. Um, I agree. And, uh, there's some. There are some places like that. Obviously, like the Witch's Dungeon is one of the most famous ones. You know that. Uh, Cortland Hall, you know, has uh, yep. has uh, has created uh, that's up in I think is it is it New Jersey or is it that's not New Jersey where that's at is it or is uh, it one of, it's, one of the New England New Jersey, states maybe yeah. it is New Jersey but I, I can't remember yeah now we we get, we get to see the occasional one he'll bring down he'll bring to stuff convention. to Wonderfest you yeah. know and I would love to visit that place sometime you know because he does incredible nice. work and I would love to walk through there so so yeah again like I said it's 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 and where and these these figures in this film are I mean this is obviously a real wax museum you know they used to. Uh-huh. film this in and uh, uh, I don't know how many figures other than the Dr. Knox one and the Nashi one that were created for this film but I would assume most of these figures I'm sure they didn't have the budget to create many of those so I would assume that this is just a regular museum that's there yeah. uh, well, one of the things that uh, I like about this the, the setting is wonderful and, and one of the things when you hear about this and you realize okay it was it was shot in a real wax museum and this that and the other is you worry that this is uh, going to be a film that is a, that is primarily a tribute because mm-hmm. you hear about mm-hmm. what they've done and how yeah, how yeah. much That's true. love they they but it's well, not but it no. is not primarily a tribute it's primarily a horror film yeah yeah and the thing is the the fact that it's a horror film allowed them to pay tribute to the things that inspired them that mm-hmm. that made them want to be horror filmmakers yeah. and i think that, that that's very good because sometimes you see and this happens especially with uh with younger filmmakers making short films and trying to make their mark and, and they get that chance to make something that's feature length and they put the cart before the horse in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. it becomes a tribute film and not necessarily a film. It becomes a tribute film mm-hmm. <laughs> instead yeah, of a yeah. film that's also a tribute. Yes, you're right. Yeah, and, uh, exactly what you're this saying, yeah. this one does not fall into that trap, which right. I think which I think is a good thing. 
like I say, my main criticism of the film, I think, it appears that we share, yeah. which is it's overlong. Yeah. And uh, uh, in general, uh, it could it, it should have and could have been tightened up a good bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things that uh, could have been told in uh, mm-hmm. less time. Yeah. And um, yeah, it didn't totally. Yeah, it, it, that's my thing. Is it 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 sort of sort of lost me. Not as in that I didn't understand what was going on, but it sort of lost my involvement a few times along the way yeah. because yeah. it just seemed there were times when there was a little lulls there that you know it, that uh, and it was the kind of story in the way it was it came. For, it could have been. Trim, you know, chopped up, chopped or trimmed up just a little bit. It could have been a very, a very riveting film, you know, from start. Uh-huh. It could have really, you know, uh, I think sustained its power more better from start to finish. Um, I agree, but I agree. A, yeah, but a lot to like. I mean, now I was wondering, I was trying to remember: is this this uh, fellow's uh, the director? Is it his first or is it his first debut? feature film? Yeah. So hey, you know, he's off to a good start. I mean, it's oh, I it's, it's I think he's definitely uh, someone to watch. You know, definitely got some. I'm sorry, I forgot to post. mention his name. The director's name is Victor uh, Matalano. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he has uh, he's been a writer on uh, a number of films as well. Yeah, it looks like he did the screen screenplay for the I guess the Vampires remake. Is that what uh, that yeah, is there now? That's for supposed the, to come uh, out. Yeah, that's yeah. supposed to come out sometime this year. Uh-huh. Uh, which uh, hopefully I wonder I wonder if we're gonna have to wait for video or if we'll actually get a chance to see it in an art house cinema. I wonder if that's Boy, the, that would be something wouldn't it That'd would be, be awesome nice if that happened but uh the uh uh oh i'm sorry he also is directing oh that's the, right he's uh, directing the vampires, okay. yeah. uh, the vampires remake but uh wax was his first uh feature length film he'd made several uh shorts before that um and uh wax is his first feature length and vampires is going to be his second and he's 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 he's, he's definitely someone to watch mm-hmm. uh but like i say i mean he needs more story yeah, uh, yeah, and that's uh, for this film. We needed more story. So, on the scale of one to ten, where ten is uh, brain bendingly awesome, and one mm-hmm. is my God, what have I done to my eyes? <laughs> where did you fall on this one? Um, well, I was, I ended up giving it a six. Um, I almost gave it. I, you know, I would have liked to because there's so much I like about it. I couldn't quite give it a seven just because, you know, seven and above is usually to me something that. I think is a really strong, strong example of yeah. what it's trying to do, and one that I'll return to. I think you know in the future, and, and whereas six is is more of a, it's good, it it does its job well, but you know wasn't what didn't quite knock it out of the park. Yeah. You know as far as that. So so, and I definitely, but I, you know five, I didn't think would be fair because there's there's it's not a medium. I mean, there's more good here than than bad. So so I fell into the six. You know is what I. That's exactly what I gave it a six out of ten. And uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I I I wondered. Uh, I was thinking more along the lines of five until uh, the last stretch of it, and then mm-hmm. I realized, no, 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 this is better than a five. This is mm-hmm. the, this doesn't feel, this isn't a mediocre film. This isn't a so-so film. This is a film that's got enough good things in it, enough mm-hmm. qualities within it that I enjoy. Not just, mm-hmm. it, it's not just that it's a joy to see Jack Taylor yeah. in a film being villainous and being suave and being, mm-hmm. cl- and, and being you know, smooth and, and uh, disturbing. Uh, believe me, that's reason enough to watch it, but it's not necessarily reason enough to like a film. Right. Uh, but uh, it's be- it's better than just something to watch Jack Taylor be very cool in in mm-hmm. at, at at his age. It's uh, it is a, a pretty good film. Yeah, and I think that. Uh, what did you think about? I mean, I'll say for me, I felt that you know the, the story is one that could have gone in a lot of different directions, and the direction that it decides to go. I felt pretty. I thought holds together. I thought I felt pretty satisfied with. You know, Again, like, there might like have been that. there might have been other ways you could have gone with it too that also would have been satisfying. But the way that it chooses yeah. to go with it, 
holds together for me. I was like, yeah, that's. I, I very much liked it because it uh, the the direction in which they take the film, mm-hmm. the 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 final uh, revelations, the, uh, the the way mm-hmm. the the way the story wraps itself up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought was, I mean, like I say, that's that, when I reached those last few minutes is when I thought, okay, they they did a good job with this. Mm-hmm. They had a yeah. well rounded story. Yeah, they stretched it over too long a period of time, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but this is a quality, mm-hmm. thoughtful, smart ending. I yeah. liked it. And 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 also I do I, I do have to go back to that Jack Taylor because as and you know I do he he is the greatest pleasure of the pleasure of the films like oh, yeah. you said it wouldn't be enough to sustain a film but in a film that has other things going for it to me yeah the greatest uh, Jack Taylor is just fantastic and they said we've given lovingly given Jack Taylor a hard time in the past as oh, they yeah. the wooden one as we call him you know and and uh, and certain times there's been times when he's deserved that he's uh, deserved that but he is now. loving he's having such a great time in this role uh, the way I was thinking it was like he's he chews the scenery without hamming it up you know and you know, it's, it's I know like he's, and it, that's he's, really he's, a good way to put it too, yeah because he, he's yeah. not he's never over I mean but he's just honestly having such a good time in the role and he just he's just Fantastic, and he looks terrific. My God, the man's like just you know looking great for talking talk about it, talking about an actor who's yeah. who's definitely showing his age, but doing it with style. Exactly, he and, really. Uh, so yeah, he's obviously just uh, re- you know reveling in uh, in getting to uh, uh, in in getting to do play this kind of role, and, and good for him, and good for them for 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 casting him, you know, and giving that yeah. kind of role. So yeah, it's it's always it's always so surprising occasionally to see. Usually it takes somebody. I hate to say it. It usually takes somebody like Quentin Tarantino know, to, to reach like, back and go, "Why is nobody using this actor?" Yeah. You know, and he, he pulls somebody out of the hat and yeah. goes, "Why is nobody paying paying attention to Robert Forster? Robert why Forster, is no yeah, exactly. Why is no one paying attention to you know, you know uh, well, Rod Taylor? You know, and a Rod know, Taylor you know, in a small role as, yeah, as exactly. Churchill. You know, and it gives him like yeah, but he's he's he gives. You know, yeah, it's that kind of thing where, where, um, and and you know, and and now speaking of more of those kind of typical sizes of roles, that sometimes Tarantino pulls people in and can only give them a small part. Yeah, yeah this film has two nice cameos, and even though they're very small, oh, it's we good forgot to, see to mention Lone Fleming. Yeah, we get to see Lone Fleming, and we get to see Antonio Mayans, and, uh, uh, both in very small little roles, yeah, but, but it's very, very, it's very satisfying. It is, I have it to is. admit, yeah. to see them. Yeah. Uh, because and and actually, Lone Fleming gets a nice line. Yes, yeah, she does. Actually. Yeah, yeah, which I thought was very, very mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but to be honest, I would have, I would prefer to see more of Lone Fleming oh, because you don't get to her, see yeah. you don't get to see her face very very yeah. very much. Really, as I mean, really obviously, if had they not been able to have gotten Geraldine Chaplin, Lone Fleming would have been great in that role as the producer. Oh, that's true. You know, that's as, true. As that's producer, right. She could have done. She could have definitely that. done yeah. that role. That would have been very nice. Uh-huh. I wonder if that was. Uh, well, I wonder if that was something that was uh, the, uh, the original plan. No. Uh, and they were able to get Miss Chaplin. I don't know. I don't true. know because I don't know how good. How I, as far as Long Fleming, I'm not sure if she speaks English fluently or not, or how good enough to do for a film that's going to be filmed in. Well, but she's doing her show, but her scenes are. I mean, she sounds great in that. So, so she. Well, probably, yeah, I don't really see any reason why she couldn't have done it. But obviously, yeah. if you got a name like Geraldine Chaplin, you go with that. Yeah, and she's yeah, done yeah, it, and yeah, she definitely. did great in that. But uh, well, it's, I mean, uh, Miss Fleming certainly communicates. Oh, damn, yeah, damn well in English on Facebook. That's so. true. Yeah, that's true. She very much does. You're right. I yeah, forgot about right. her Facebook page. You're right. She does very well in that. So. Uh, well, at any rate, um, that is Wax from mm-hmm. last year, 2014. Yep, uh, yep. If you have seen it and have some thoughts on the film yourself, either pro or con, send us a, your thoughts at nashycast at gmail.com. Yeah. It is the Nashy film we've covered with the least amount of Nashy. Yeah, yeah. But, hey... 
you know, uh, we've covered fifty mm. some odd of his films now. So you do reach a point. <laughs> you do reach a point where you're going, okay, you're casting yeah. about for for whatever's left. We're yeah, I was gonna say we we've got few few left, uh, but we're gonna try and try and get to uh, more stuff as we can as we can. You know, I wouldn't mind finding that uh, the other one that was uh, that animated film that he did oh, uh, yeah. in the last uh, where he voice we did the voice yeah. of the Apollo. I wouldn't mind. Yeah, we'll have to yeah, check that yeah, out. Yeah, you're right. That would be fun. That would be fun to at least uh, at yeah. least uh, view and talk about briefly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not necessarily a whole episode, but just to kind of let people be fun. know what we thought of it, you know. Well, I tell you what, folks. Let us take a quick break and then we will come back and we'll dive into our feedback this episode and uh, let you know what we're doing next month. Well, Spanish horror fans, it's that time of the month again. First things first, I really want to talk about just one scene from the film that we're reviewing this month and that would be Wax starring Jack Taylor and this scene goes beyond the film to me and that's why I want to talk about it. There's a scene in the film somewhere in the film where Dr. Knox is in prison and he's working on whatever he's going to work on during the day you know occupying his time as a convict normally it would be uh, license plates, things like that, yada, yada. And so he's at this drill press, and he stops, and he looks up, he takes off his safety glasses, and he looks at the camera, and Jack Taylor smiles, the biggest smile I have ever seen Jack Taylor smile. And it just works on so many levels. You know, this film is a love letter um, to us from basically people from that era and people that enjoy that era. And it's, you know, to us for loving, you know, Nashi and his films and that kind of film, you know, basically classic horror. And when he does it, it just beams. And it's more than the film. It's It works in the film, but it also works as you know, breaking the fourth wall, so to speak, in a way that I think is just wonderful. And I just wanted to talk about it. I thought it was very cool. And now we can go ahead and get on to the rest of what I usually do every month. So for the Horror Host segment this month, it's actually going to be two months. It's going to be big enough to where we need to go uh, part one this month and part two next month. We're going to do Spengooley from Chicago. And, uh, Obviously, we're going to start with the original Sven Gulli, who was the horror host from 1970 to 1973. So let's get at it. Jerry G. Bishop was the announcer of the station WFLD's Friday Night Scary Movie Anthology, Screaming Yellow Theater, when he had an idea to create a live host for the program. The show's title was derived from Screaming Yellow's Zonkers, which was a yellow sugary glazed popcorn snack, first produced in the late 60s. The character of Svengoolie was a white-faced, green-haired, green-bearded, 
guitar strumming hippie who slept in a psychedelic painted coffin and told mostly vaudeville era jokes and lightning fast ad libs during commercial breaks from the film. The show and character proved to be wildly successful. The show lasted from 1970 until 1973 when the parent company, Field Communications, sold WFLD TV to Kaiser Broadcasting. The Svengulli persona would be resurrected with Bishop's permission in 1979 by Rich Cause, who had been a writer for the original series. Cause continues in the role today, but that is for the next segment. So back to the original Svengulli. Um, I thought about using uh, some tape segments from YouTube that I found. Probably be the best way to introduce the character. Um, but I couldn't find anything better than from the horror host movie um, American Scary. And their Svengulli segment. So I'm going to use about uh, two and a half to three minutes of footage from that um, movie. And if you haven't seen the movie American Scary and you're into horror hosts at all, into the history and into the um, community of horror hosts, uh, please get the movie. You're going to love it. Um, it was done a couple of years ago, and um, it's just phenomenal. Um, it doesn't cover all of the horror hosts, obviously, but it does cover most of the main ones and goes from the beginning in the early 1950s until the present. So definitely pick it up if you can. Anyway, here we go with uh, the uh, bit from American Scary on Spengoli. There had been horror movies in Chicago before. Uh, Marvin, for example, uh, he was big. I remember his name when I was a kid, but I never watched it, frankly. Uh, so I was not, you know, it was not a role model for me. Boy, that thing gets heavy. This is Oh, yes. Listen, the time has come for scary things like monsters, ghosts, and vampire beings. Like horrible movies, all drippy and drooly. And horrible jokes with me, Sven Gooley. The original Sven Gooley, Jerry G. Bishop, was quick. You talk about quick-witted, he was great. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> go let's go let's thank you, Bruce. And now, would you like to see more of tonight's feature, huh? No! I didn't think so. Well, they got no choice. I was doing booth, booth announcing, and I started doing voiceover, you know, and now back to the movie. And it was just a, a voice. Uh, people started writing. Who is that guy? And little by little, it expanded. And now it's been a great deal of stomach distress that we rejoin tonight's feature, and not a moment too soon either. And finally, the station says, you know, we're getting a lot of mail. Why don't we just see if we can go live with this thing? We did. And now, ladies and gentlemen, yours truly will be right back after the following Atomic Holocaust. Atomic Holocaust? What's an Atomic Holocaust? About $9.95 plus tax and recapable tire. <laughs> he was crazy. He was the character. He was a goof. It's the kind of thing where, you know, during the commercial break, you run into the kitchen for more popcorn. And then you hear Spangoolie, so you run back. <laughs> you know, quick, you saw it, it's gonna start. Most of the movies we showed were garbage. Uh, they were so bad that they were good, you know. We're talking pure camp. Hey folks, don't you dare miss uh, this program next week at approximately the same time. When our motion picture will be a real tear journal. No matter how much you cry and beg, we're still gonna show it. Ha <laughs> ha, good night, night and see you later.
once a week you get to be this maniac and there was so much it was the early 70s was a lot going on I know a lot of kids from the various colleges would just light up on Friday night just smoke joints and watch Sven Gulli and, and get happy it was a way of life you know how we doing you want to hear more huh Okay, now since that segment was audio only, um, a couple things I need to uh, to clear up here. The gentleman at the beginning of the clip talking about how fast Jerry G. Bishop was is none other than Larry Underwood, a.k.a. Dr. Gangrene. And the girl toward the end of the clip talking about uh, her memories of watching Spangoli is none other than uh, Pat Tallman who was in the remake of Night of the Living Dead and also had a major, major part in um, Babylon 5. Okay, for the final music segment, we're going to do something different. No, no, we're not doing heavy metal this time. We're going to do music from the film Wax. And there's a phenomenal song at the end uh, of the movie while the uh, end credits play. It's called The Dr. Knox Blues, and the artist is Javier de la Morena, and it was recorded in 2013, which was the year Wax was filmed, and it's a great bluesy song, and uh, since we're, in, uh, we're on a kind of a kick here with Chicago, with Spanguli, this is definitely a Chicago blues song. So here's Javier with Dr. Knox Blues. <laughs>
Mr. Dan, thank you as always for the great knowledge, the great little segments there. We, uh, uh, yeah, I'm Sven enjoying Gooley. the horror host thing. It's so yeah, much fun. It is. It is. Fenguli, uh, yeah, definitely heard that name all my life. And uh, as much as we enjoyed our successful creep here in Nashville, there's always these other ones that you say, like, man, I wish I'd, you know, would love to have grown <laughs> up on because Fenguli sounds like he was just a blast. Yeah, it sounds like he was really, really a good time. Oh, uh, and uh, Dan, thank you very much. I knew I was going to have to put uh, the song from uh, Wax somewhere in the podcast because it's just too juicy not to. Mm-hmm. And Dan was kind enough to add it into his, so I get to play around with the end of the show with something else. Yeah. All right. Uh-oh, yeah. uh-oh. Always open the Pandora's box. Watch <laughs> possibly what we possibly come up with. I'm, I'm sure it'll be, be interesting and strange. Other thing too is uh, Dan's Dan's learning now. He's learning because he mentioned something from Wax, but he didn't spit out. He did not spoil the film, but he uh, he did mention something that we didn't bring up. That without saying where it was in the film, he does mention that yep. there's a part where Jack Taylor does actually break the fourth wall in the sense of of looking at the camera and giving, as he said, a great great look, a great smile, but. Um, I guess the question is always, you know, it's always a tricky thing if you're going to have a character break the fourth wall. In this case, I thought it did. It worked okay for me because the whole film really is such a. Uh, it acknowledges in so many ways the horror film fan and the yeah. horror film viewer. In so many ways, with these actors like like Lone Fleming and, and Antonio Mines putting those in the film, the Paul Nashy references that actually the point when the Dr. Knight's character does that in the film. It didn't really, I, I, it was, I was fine with that. You know, it's just like, yeah. that doesn't, I wouldn't always be fine with that sort of thing. And, and depending on the type of film, but in this, I thought, you know, it's okay. Well, it, well, it works and it works within the context of the film too, because the character mm. he's playing is mm. intentionally filming himself doing yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. And so it's, it works within the context of the story and it also works for us yeah, the viewers, as like, viewers yeah. uh-huh. able to see it as mm-hmm. that little nod to us as fans as well. Yeah. So it's kind of neat. It, it, it works. It works. It really does. But, uh, cool. Well, thanks Dan for that. And we're, uh, we're going to dig into the mailbag here. What do we got? Yeah. Spinning the big wheel, turning the crank. <laughs> is there all like how thousands of these letters are flowing around here? I know you can't hear it, but just go, if there were go thousands, with me if, we, if there were thousands, we would have to stop answering. Them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reaching in and here's what I got. This is, um, from Hugo. Great name. I always love the name Hugo. True. Uh, he says, dear, he says, Hey, Troy and Rod. I love your Nashicast podcast. Been listening for a while. I came across one I had totally missed, the one done on Inquisition. It was well done, and that movie happens to be one of my favorite films of this type, along with Mark of the Devil, uh, which is just coming out on Blu-ray, by the way. Yep. Uh, And he says, I am also a big fan of Daniello Gordiano, who played Catherine in Inquisition, and started a page for her on Facebook since I was surprised she did not have one. And he gives the address, you know, obviously put it on Facebook and you put in Daniela, Daniela Gordano. I'm sure you'll find it at G-I-O-R-D-A-N-O. He says, feel free to join if you want. I am in touch with her and she checks it herself from time to time. I've always felt one of the best, if not her best movie, was Inquisition. Keep up the good work. So yeah, that's awesome now. It's like so, you know, somebody like that going out and using Facebook as a forum to just recognize these, you know, these, these obscure or act- actresses and actors who would be obscure uh, to many people, you know, it's it's a, uh, uh, and she is great as Catherine in that film. I and mean, we always appreciated the fact that she was what attracts Nat, Nat, Nat she's character. I mean, she's an attractive woman, but she wasn't just like conventional movie star attractive in that no. film. You know, very yeah. attractive, but not like so. But but you really felt like Nashi's character falls for her because as much for I think her independence, her spirit, as he does for her physical beauty. You know, right. And I still would like I, I still would like to point out that I think Inquisition. Uh, is one of those is one of those underseen, underviewed Nashi films that I think mm. if more people knew about it, if it were able to get a mm. DVD release, mm. 
like, I mean, at this point, you just mentioned that Mark of the Devil. Yeah. Oh, God. If that, has gotten, yeah. I mean, I know it's uh, been released on DVD at least twice. Yeah. yeah. And now it's gotten released on Blu ray. And Inquisition sits. Yeah, I know. Gathering uh-huh. dust on yeah. shelves. I mean, no one is no one is bothering to even try to license it, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and it was his. It was at Nashi's film debut as a director, and it was an incredibly strong one. A very very impressive debut. To I wish I wish that. Uh, well, of course, we all. Of course, we we. This is our standard <laughs> lament. I wish more Nashi films were available. <laughs> uh, yes, on I know. God. Um, but Inquisition is. I will say again. I think one of those that uh, is a perfect bridge. Into the lesser seen Nashi films mm-hmm. for horror fans yeah. that could kick open the door and get some more interest flowing. It's a really good choice. It, it's Agreed. it's not like the giant leap you need to take to get to something like uh, El Comandante or uh, mm-hmm. The Frenchman's Garden or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's or my friend the vagabond. <laughs> it takes a really big leap. It takes yeah. a really yeah, yeah exactly. It is uh, if you're a if you've seen a few Nashi horror films and enjoyed them, Inquisition would be a great another mm. a great next film to see. Mm. And I can I just wish it would get some kind of release over here. Mm. I don't even, it's, I don't even think it's been released on video in uh, in England. For uh, God's sake. Not that I know of. Yeah, it's let's contact Arrow Video for God's man, sake. Uh, God, I know, man. I would love to see them take that under their wing, man. Oh, Lord, anybody, please. Yes. Just, Inquisi- uh, Inquisition would be, that would be my vote for kicking the door open. That and uh, yeah. uh, uh, Werewolf of the Yeti. Mm-hmm. Get, you, you, get, you, get, you get that one going. Oh, I love that, yeah. And I, th- I, th- I, think, you'd just, I think you'd get a lot of interest in mm-hmm. seeing more of his movies put out. So. Well, in Werewolf of the Yeti, we can pretty much know that there is a good print of that out there because that was one of yeah. the films that BCI had yep. and we Night saw clips Howling from Beast. you know and we saw clips from uh, yep. uh, of that and that looked fantastic you know so just enough to whet your appetite and, and yet you I'm, know, I'm calling it Werewolf of the Yeti we covered it as True. Uh, not, 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 not as the Howling right. Beast yeah, I'm yeah. sorry yeah. but yeah I mean those two films uh, both uh, made I think within a year of each other if not in mm-hmm. the same year mm-hmm. 76 and 77 or both of them in 76 I can't remember Dude, those those would be those would be the two I'd point to and say if you can get your right get your hands on those two films, mm-hmm. I think you can kick the door open for more interest yeah. in Paul Nashy on video here in the states. But. Yeah, I agree. Oh well, all right, all right. Oh, is it my turn? Yep, yep. yep. Okay, okay, okay. I okay. uh, uh, hope this doesn't sound dirty, but this was a long one. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to the uh, listening to the hysteria continues, the slasher podcast, uh-huh. and. Um, that's one of the standard jokes between. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is a long one. There's a lot of double entendres yeah, throughout yeah. The, throughout the show, just because they have they have so much fun with it, and, uh-huh. and it's uh, it's it's it's. I really love the podcast because there are four of them. Uh, okay, small small love letter to the hysteria continues here, which mm-hmm. is it's co- it's a podcast with four hosts, uh-huh. uh, two Americans, two Brits. Mm-hmm. Or, well, okay, one Brit, and one one uh, Irishman. Yeah. Don't don't get upset. I, I got it right. Uh-huh. Uh, but what I love is that <clears throat> out of the four of them. Three of them are gay men. Yeah. <laughs> and only one of them is straight. And they're talking slasher films. That must, and they're be, talking slasher, must be incredibly entertaining. It's, it's incredibly entertaining, but at the same time, their their perspective, mm-hmm. I, you, you would think, oh, their perspective would be slightly skewed. It's like, you yeah. know, because uh, because they're gay. And it's like, no, actually, mm-hmm. it's the same perspective we had. Mm-hmm. And they even make the same kind of sick same. double entendres <laughs> that I would make as a straight man. They just keep going. I mean, they, they really do. It's just wonderful. I, I, I love it. It's so entertaining. <sighs> If you like slasher films, check out the Hysteria yeah. Continues. <laughs> this public service message brought to you by the Nashicast. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Okay, this is a long one. This one's from uh, Michael. 
Um, and I don't think we've gotten anything from Michael before, have we? Don't believe so. I think this might be his. His he's at first first time right in. I think. Oh, and he's that's... another Tennessean. Yes, that's a, yes. He definitely wow. is. He's yeah. Did say where in Tennessee, but uh, he's right, somewhere right. here in our state. He says, "Hey guys, love your podcast. I downloaded every episode to my hard drive. The only other podcast I do that with is 1951 Down Place because, in addition to being a Euro horror and Nashy freak, I'm also a huge Hammer fan. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't listened to them all yet, but I definitely plan to as time permits." I like to watch the flick first and then get your take on it. Of course, with many Nashy films, this is a prob- this is problematic considering lack of availability. So in that case, I just use your podcast as sort of a cyber famous monsters film book. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that means we're going to have to start coming up with we're going to, have to start kicking our pun level up to uh, you know if we're going to for, <laughs> if we're the podcast version of famous monsters. <laughs> I, I, I can't do that. I have a I have a, I have a very strange uh, medical condition whereby uh, puns cause me to bruise. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny you just said that because I was literally telling somebody the other day describing to them a uh, yeah, younger guy that and I'm describing to him famous monsters and how the film books were so were gold to us kids back in those days when we couldn't that, that was our only connection to seeing most of the, a lot of so many of those films that's true that's true yeah. he says I first saw Nashy in Frankenstein's Bloody Terror thank you same here he says thank you Sam Sherman rolls eyes <laughs> back in the 70s on our local horror host show Shock Theater with Dr. Shock nice and Dingbat in the Chattanooga area. He grew up in Chattanooga. Chattanooga Dr. Okay. Shock and Dr. Dingbat Shock, were yeah. my guys yeah that's right you oh, always talked about wow. Dr. Shock yeah okay it would be it would be years before I became a Nashy fanatic, searching out his films on home video and Gasp podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, my five my top five Nashy films are oh here we go, mm-hmm. Werewolf Shadow, Doctor Jekyll and the Werewolf, Horror Rises from the Tomb, Night of the Howling Beast, and Curse of the Devil. All good ones. Oh, I can't argue that. Can't argue. He says, I also have a place in my heart for Assignment Terror, which I rank much higher than most fans do. Mm-hmm. I have most of Nashi's available films on DVD, especially all of the BCI releases, which are excellent. It's a damn shame BCI bit the dust before they did as many as possible. Hell, all would have been fantastic. Oh, yes. Same thing happened to Casa Negra as they were releasing yeah. fabulous DVDs of Mexican horror Remember, films. they were yeah. just about to put out World of Vampires. It was going to be their next I release, know. man. Yeah, that hurt. Yeah. <sighs> I think about that occasionally yeah. because I'm still uh, because of the B movie cast. I'm still uh, going through some of the uh, more obscure Mexican horror films. I just finally saw The Living Head. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I think to myself, God, this print looks like shit, and it's yeah. the only way to see it. Oh, if only Casa Negra had stayed around a few more years. Yeah. <sighs> okay, that's the sound of a tear mm. trickling down my face, folks. <laughs> uh. I like to hear you guys take si- take side rants and generally BS about the genre while while vainly trying to steer back on topic. White knuckles on the wheels. <laughs> Vain. That's a great way of yeah. That's yeah, a great way yeah, to describe yeah. it. That's pretty much how it, we roll. Yeah. It does happen. Uh, I really appreciate you, that you take plenty of time on each episode. After I listen to you fellows present facts and opinions for two hours or more, I feel satisfied, like having been drained of desire. For <laughs> for a fanboy fix until that yearning once again builds to a uh, wow too Freudian but you get my drift <laughs> yes I'm glad you noted that yeah, it's a bit glad you glad you halted yourself before you went too uh, to any further with that but yes. uh, but yeah but we have, I don't think I don't think as much as we've been self conscious about it I don't think that we've ever had anybody tell us that our podcast is too long so you know no, kind of like no. as long as you as long as you guys are good with it we'll we'll we'll, we'll well that, and, and, and the beautiful thing about podcasts is uh, say I mean we have occasionally reached the three hour mark. But the thing is, mm-hmm. you can listen to a podcast in, in, in 10, 20, 30 minute increments yeah, yeah. at your at your leisure. So, yeah. oh, 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 he says, uh, 
Suggestions for future Beyond Nashi episodes. He says, I, he says, I have two suggestions here. He says, uh, Swamp of the Ravens, 1974. This is a fave of mine, even though it only rates about a 3.9 on mm. IMDb. Uh, what does the rest of the world know about good monster movies anyway? Mm. Spanish production directed by Manuel Cano, starring Ramiro Alvarez, oh, oh, Alvarez, Alvarez, God, I can't pronounce freaking <laughs> Spanish names and I'm tripped up again. Uh, uh, Ramiro Alvarez, Alvarez, <laughs> fuck it. As Join us meds, next week, folks, as Rod continues to try, as Rod continues to, to attempt to pronounce, pronounce this actor's name. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, as a mad scientist slash ruthless killer, Dr. Frosta, and a great performance by the always fun Fernando Sancho. Oh, yeah. Uh, Stuart Gordon must have seen this flick in the 1970s because Reanimator has bits from Swamp of the Ravens out the wazoo. Whoa. This film has a very dark, nasty, mean-spirited feel, but in a fun way. Some of the music is painful, but damn, this is a good Euro horror film. I've seen Swamp the Ravens. Yeah, because yes. I knew that that's come up before on... Uh, yeah, it's I well worth seen. seeing. It is, it is one that, uh, when I first viewed it on a bootleg videotape... Ooh, eons ago, mm. uh, back when dinosaurs ruled the earth, uh, I thought I didn't like it too much. And then I saw a print of it, a, a better looking print of it, I, I hate to say, I think actually on DVD. And uh, liked it a good deal better. Because, mm. And I think maybe my sensibilities had changed yeah, by the time right. I saw it a second time. And so I was much more, uh, uh, much more in the groove of knowing what the hell I was looking at when I'm looking at a Euro horror film. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to say, it's a film that I've wanted to revisit, and I can't remember if I have a copy of it or not. I know that it's available, that, that there's a DVD of it out there right now that's still in print. Can't remember if I still have it or not, but it would be a good choice. And it's one, I have to say, I had not thought of as a possibility because uh, wow, it's just been off my radar for a while, I have to say. Mm-hmm. So Swamp of yep. the Ravens, okay. that's a possibility. Okay. Uh, also... Uh, Night of a Thousand Cats from 1972. Hello, Katie. Mm, yeah, Katie perked yeah. up with that. Uh, at first, I really didn't know what to think of this movie, but I grew, but it grew on me quick. Hugo is a wealthy playboy serial killer who picks up the poor in his private helicopter and flies them out to his very remote castle-like mansion before seducing them, then beheading them, and tossing the rest to his army of starving cats he keeps in a friggin' huge cage. Now that's a phrase. Army of star- starving cats. That's a phrase for you right there. <coughs> Folks, I have never seen this movie, but and I'm now sold. I must. I'm sold. I know. That's why I was feeling, too. <laughs> uh, I've heard jokes about Night of a Thousand Cats, but I had never seen it. Yeah. So uh, he says, uh, his creepy servant, Dorgo, keeps... Dorgo? Dorgo, okay. Keeps the place running while Hugo is out looking for his next date. The girls give up the head. <laughs> he, has <a> very <laughs> nice collect- he has a very nice collection what? of them. Yeah. Uh, Hugo is played by... Talk about double, double entendres. Holy yeah, hell, man. Yeah, man. <sighs> Michael, you are outdoing yourself. Mm. Uh, he says uh, Hugo is played by Hugo Stiglitz. Oh, our man. Who was in Nightmare City, of course. And the umpteenth thousand other things. Yeah. <laughs> his, yeah. his IMDb filmography runs off my computer screen. Yeah. Uh, including Tintorera Killer Shark, which I think I've seen. Yeah, I don't believe I have. He says, which I first saw in uh, Little Mall Theater back in the day. Uh, Rene Cardo- Cardoza Jr. directs this Mexican film, which stinks of Urahara and sh- and should be firmly in the wheelhouse of Beyond Nashi. IMDb gives it a three point three, but I adore this twisted little turd. <laughs> wow, that that sounds like a must see. It's a uh, yeah. I don't know if it's. I would have to make sure that it fits within the Beyond Nashi uh, uh, line, but if if not, that could be a, a, a bloody pit. 
Yeah. Episode. Yeah, actually, it sounds like it could really be. I mean, because yeah. we we did the we did, Hugo, we did we did Nightmare City. So we did Nightmare another, City. It yeah. could be a follow up of Hugo Stiglitz. Oh, my God, we could there. we could do a, a mini a mini series of Hugo Stiglitz films. <laughs> well, I mean, right now you and I are doing a mini series of controversial kaiju films for the Bloody Pit, right? And uh, uh, my co podcasting lunatic John Hudson mm-hmm. and I have just started what's going to be a series of uh, Antonio Margariti podcasts. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, I think um, I I always wondered with with why is it, why do henchmen, yeah, have to be like, why can't a henchman ever be named like Biff, you know, or why can they never be named like you know, Todd. Like, like yeah, it's Todd. always like it's you know Dorgo, you know Bruno, you know <laughs> Torgo, you know. So, so it makes you wonder is does did being named that as babies cause them to become <laughs> or, a, a henchman? Does or, it just automatically do, curse them to be like? Hunchbacked and my, and, my and theory has always been that the, Mongo the, Mongo's another yeah, one. Yeah. The, those hideous names, those yeah. those names that the poor sidekicks yeah. have. Yeah. Those are those are the names that are given them by the ones who observe their hideousness as they get older. Yeah, They're probably born be, with gorgeous names yeah. like Carlos or <laughs> Frederica or Jonathan or something just you know straightforward and yeah. normal. And then as they twist as they get older and life beats them down and turns them into the the sick subhuman things that they become, then eventually they just become Torgo, or yeah, Mongo, or Dorgo, or just or, or or whatever they. Maybe it just feels good to the mad scientist to say that, and you know, maybe it just maybe it just you know, or, 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 you know, it just feels good rolling off, you know, to yell out Dorgo or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's gotta be something. It's gotta be something that rolls off the tongue. Because, yeah. You know, you, <laughs> It's only so many times. It's only so many times you can say Eric. Yeah. Before you're just like, okay, fuck it, I'm not calling you Eric. Ergo, ergo, yeah. It's gonna be some kind of bizarre combination of vowel sounds at some point. Okay, he says, uh, "Here's a heads up about a Valdemar Donensky action figure that came up a few months ago. Uh, it's a nineteen, uh, one. I'm sorry, a one ninth scale, eight inch. That's eight inches tall. Comes in a clamshell with a backer card. I'm not crazy about the card art. Poster art should have been used." But the figure itself kicks large ass. As far as I know, it's the first Nashy action figure. It's sold out, but they have some time, they have sometimes turned up on eBay. Only sixty were made, and he says I have number forty-eight by a small company called Distinctive Dummies. They have a website, but uh, tune into the Universal Monster Army website to get the real scoop on new Distinctive Dummies releases. It's a it's like a little Hellfire Club. The real heads up here is that the figure sold out immediately, and uh, the company have stated that Senior Nashi will be reappearing in different guises. Yeah, they ain't cheap, but they are good. And when it comes to Hammer and other unusual monster figures, they are about the only show in town. Yeah, I think he wrote that just to torture you because you know I have that figure, and I, I, I don't want to talk about it. it. Yes, you sorry scumbag. It's number twenty-seven. I have number twenty-seven. You have number twenty-seven. I have number twenty-seven. Yes, and it is a thing of beauty. Uh, now, yes. I'll, I'll, yeah, when he said that. Man, I was thinking, like, God, if they would do a variation with the turtleneck and the leisure suit, you know, it would just be incredible. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I was also thinking that Alaric Demarnak would be would be kick ass. Oh, I would love know, that if uh, they did if, Alaric if, they, if they did the figure of him from Horror Rises from the Tomb, man, yeah. I just yeah. that would make I would lose my mind. Or if they did uh, if they did the, him as the Mummy, Vengeance of the Mummy, I know you wouldn't be able to resist oh, that. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. That really would be nice. But, uh, it would almost I would almost want it to be a two pack of him as the Egyptian when he's alive and then and also as yeah as you're the right. mummy yeah but because see, such yeah. such excellent mummy makeup on him in that film so yeah but the distinctive dummies are an incredible company and, and you know and yeah I definitely can't afford I mean believe me I'd love to own every figure they've done it's like I had to pull the trigger on the Nashy one but they are pricey uh, so I've only been able to the only ones I have right now are 
is the Nashi figure, the Valdemar Daninsky figure, and I've uh, uh, they did a two two versions of um, Doctor Fives. Uh, one with the Vincent Price face wearing the black, you know, cloak and hood, and then they did the, uh, the one in the white cloak with just without the you know the mask, without his Vincent Price mask with his actual yeah, without ruined, face. ruined face. And they're both just amazing figures. But those are the only three I've been able to to to, uh, to spring for. But uh, but there's I'm, I'm definitely keeping my eye on them to see what else they come out with. So cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, lucky bastards. <laughs> anyway, anyway, back to. Back to, I guess, friend Michael here. <laughs> he says, uh, enough already. Jeez, I'm droning on like a podcaster here. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Rod, uh, I've noticed a similarity with fanzines and podcasts as well. I collect monster mags and fanzines, and I've noticed how the fanzine community of old uh, advertised in and plugged each other's product in much the same way that podcasters do today. Anywho, keep doing the thing. Keep doing the thing, Trod and Roy, Troy and Rod. I can't even pronounce our own names now, man. Holy shit! Uh, Trod and Roy. Yeah. yeah, Trod and Roy. Yes, that almost works. Wait, it does. Yeah. Isn't it? Okay. Anyway, uh, he says, "Anywho, keep doing the thing, Troy and Rod. And if you ever run into, uh, if you ever run out of Nashi films, then just change the name to either Beyond Nashi or Euroharo Euroharo." Plus bucket, or what the fuck ever. But keep on keeping on. As long as you guys keep yapping, I'll keep listening. Thanks, guys. Michael. And the reverse is true. As long as you keep listening, we'll keep yapping. So I think it's a mutually beneficial relationship. I, w- I would have to say that, uh, as far as I can tell, uh, our audience continues to grow, and that is a wonderful thing. It is. So, it is. Thank you very much, Michael. That yeah, was great, a, great. a long but a fun yeah, awesome. one. Yeah, and, very, very good I have stuff. to say... Swamp of the Ravens and Night of the, Th- Night of a Thousand Cats they were not on my radar. Yeah. So yeah, mine either, yeah, but they both choice. sound yeah, both sound uh, very much worth checking out. So uh, all right, one more piece of mail here, and this is from Craig, and I believe that this is oh, um, back to I'm sorry, back to Michael. Yeah, we yeah. mentioned about him being in Tennessee. So yeah, Michael, hopefully uh, someday we'll actually get to meet you in person. But uh, if we'll, if we hope to someday be doing another one of our Nashy nights. Uh, you know, we used to do it at this place called Black Raven Emporium in yeah. Nashville, an incredible place, and was probably too good to live, you know, because it has it has folded. However, the theater portion, uh, which is Cult Fiction Underground, which is where we used to host our Nashi screenings, uh, is in the process of trying to get back on its feet in an even bigger and better uh, location uh, with more space and all that. And hopefully, once hopefully sometime this year, they'll get back open and we'll be able to uh, do another uh, night of a couple of Nashi viewings there. And uh, we'll put out the word, but we'll definitely make sure that you know about it. Uh, please find us on our Facebook page if you haven't already. Yeah. Um, and uh, because we'll definitely be announcing the next time we're going to do uh, Nashi Nights, which, like I said, will hopefully happen sometime, maybe even before the year's out. But since you're in Tennessee, uh, you know, you might be able to make a little road jaunt to uh, come come greet us and watch to watch a little Nashi. Well, yeah, I yeah, mean, so. we at least uh, from your from your letter, we at least know you grew up in the Chattanooga television mm-hmm. viewing area, yeah, much yeah. like myself. So, hey, mm-hmm. you could still be nearby. Yeah. Yeah. If we ever make it back to a Chattacon again someday, maybe you can come <laughs> hang out with us and drink maybe, some beer and talk maybe, some Nashy. Talk maybe some maybe so. That would, man, I'd be, yeah, it'd be something of, I'd love to do, but man, it just seems just so never seems to work. I know. I know. But uh, anyway, so yes, now we're to Craig here, and uh, like I said, I believe that he is a first time writer here, and uh, and he says. Hey guys, I just wanted to thank you for NashyCast. I've always been a big horror fan and had always been curious about Paul Nashy's films, but the creature features in my area never showed his films. So when I found your podcast, I quickly downloaded them and have even found myself revisiting a few, especially all Ombre Lobo films. 
Your descriptions and discussions make it almost seem like I'm watching each film. Like, yeah, it makes it almost seem like I'm watching each film. And finally, I did. I found Werewolf and the Yeti on YouTube. And I'm not sure if you found the European cut yet, but the one I found was in all of its nude glory. Let's just say the female vampire cave set must have been pretty cold because the turkeys were definitely done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually, yeah, we did actually yeah. come across, and we, I think we mentioned that on a show when we had discovered we, the yeah, extra, we, 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 we didn't, hadn't seen it by the time we did, as he, you know, as he heard there, you know, we yeah. hadn't seen it by the time we actually did the episode. We did a, we did a, a one of our first point five episodes. Yeah. Uh, soon after that, we, mm. we did finally see the, the nude version of the film, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, we discussed at length because one of the, uh, scenes that are, that's in the nude version actually kind of alters the thought, your thoughts on, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not a, the, the female lead was or was mm-hmm. not a virgin. So, mm-hmm. uh, seek that, uh, point mm-hmm. five episode out. I can't remember which one it is, but it, uh, it's yeah. prominent. We talked specifically about, uh, the nude version of, uh, night of the howling beast in that one. Yeah. So. And he says, as for the bloody pit of Rod, I'm liking that as well for many of the same reasons. I would like to suggest a pair of films. The two films I want to suggest are 1964's At Midnight I'll Take Your Soul and the sequel 1967's This Night I'll Possess Your Corpse by director Jose Marins. I was completely blown away by these two films and could not believe At Midnight was made when it was. But I could believe it was banned in Marin's home county country of Brazil. Yeah, we uh, we love us some Coffin Joe. We're big Coffin Joe. Big fan of the Coffin Joe films. Uh... We uh, I think we both discovered them back in the '90s when they mm-hmm. were put out on uh, something weird something video. Weird, yeah, mm-hmm. um, love them. I, I I know I own them on DVD. You've got the coffin set, actually. Yeah, the, the um, three that they've released on DVD, and then they released his most recent film. And Craig, if you haven't seen, oh yeah, Embodiment of Evil. Embodiment is, is of a lot Evil, a lot of fun. Yeah, really enjoyable. Embodiment of Evil is uh, really cool. It, it'll probably end up being the last Coffin Joe film, considering it was made so. Mm-hmm. He, he, considering how old he how old he is, and that it was mm-hmm. made so mm-hmm. so long after. The initial films, uh, Embodiment of Evil was superb. It was, it was. So, but we're really, you're right. I mean, that so there's still a few films of his, of those uh, that have not that still only came out in those something weird VHS. Uh, they they uh, that Coffin Joe set did three of the films that really featured Coffin Joe as a major character. But right. there's some other films that kind of like there's the uh, the Bloody Exorcism of Coffin Joe. Did Bloody Exorcism not come out on disc? No, it is not. It is, at least yeah. not in this. No, the only ones that come out on disc here are the two he mentions and then uh, Awakening of the Beast. Awakening of the Beast, I knew, but they didn't put it... I, they I, did not I, put wow, the... Okay. They did not put the... Uh, they didn't put a Hallucinations of a Deranged Mind and they did not put uh, the... Uh, the um, Strange or the Bloody Exorcism of Coffin Joe have not Which come I love. out, I and then there's Bloody another one that's called The Strange World of Coffin Joe, but he's not really a character. It's more of like an anthology it's film. It's more of an anthology film, sort but of. those yeah. all three of those films, I would really love to see get a, a, huh. a nice DVD release, and and uh, and so far they have not. It's just the, that's the odd. just the okay. first three films, and then the the, the newest one, uh, that, which actually came out on Blu-ray. But yeah, Craig, if you haven't seen the Embodiment of Evil, uh, uh, definitely need to check it out. But yeah, yeah, Coffin Joe is just a, an awesome, uh, awesome character. He really is, and the whole, whole Jose Marin's. Uh, I would love to get a hold of uh, uh, my hands on. Uh, you know, he did uh, tons of uh, Coffin Joe comic books. You know, and, yeah. and stories and anthologies. You know, I would stuff. love to see someone do English translation, a translation, and print them, and print oh, them over so here. Nice. That'd be awesome. But he says. Um, anyway, he finishes up by saying, "Thank you so much for introducing Paul Nash to me, and keep up the great work." Thank you so much, Craig. We appreciate that. Thank you that. for writing. Very, us. very encouraging for everybody. And, Thank uh, you very much. Yeah, everybody, keep sending your opinions and comments and all that good stuff to our Gmail, uh, nashicast at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook and hook up with us there. Uh, please, uh, the more the merrier. Uh, we, uh, we occasionally post some things of interest over there. Uh, Sergio, uh, uh, Senior Nashi's. 
son occasionally posts uh, some really neat photographs that he owns of his father mm -hmm. uh, from uh, his father's career and uh, mm -hmm. also some home photographs some photographs uh, that are that are that are personal sometimes Sergio will post them on Facebook and he is quite cool with anyone uh, sharing them so I tend to share a few of them on the Nashi cast yeah. Facebook page because Sergio big buddy uh, mm -hmm. of the podcast big a big yeah. uh, a good friend to the show and uh, it's always fun to see things like that pop up. Plus, we occasionally find some odd things that are Nashie related and yeah, pop up and pop up yeah. on the face on the Facebook feed as well. Yeah. And uh, did you see, did you see the thing I posted uh, here recently? Uh, Jeff Jeff besides uh, Jeff Nelson who does uh, the artwork for uh, each each of our mm -hmm. shows, mm -hmm. uh, he uh, also did a, a little piece just as a, a coming soon kind of thing for the Wax Podcast. Uh, that I posted up on the Facebook page just the other day that I thought was quite nice because he just sent it along because it's obviously uh, something he was just working on. And went, hey, uh, this, this would be kind of cool to advertise the fact, hey, 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 the podcast <laughs> is coming soon. Um, considering we haven't done an actually yeah. cast in a couple of months, I thought that I thought that was quite, ni quite yeah. nice of him. Yeah, but uh, strange and interesting things do pop up on the Facebook feed, and we will uh, uh, we just like to 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 clue you in that we uh, we will be continuing to do uh, Nashi casts throughout the year. Uh, we're going to uh, track down some more of the more obscure Nashi films uh, mm -hmm. to do later this year. We're going to be doing a couple of more beyond Nashies. We've got a couple in mind already, and uh, we will of course also be continuing to uh, to uh, slot into that. Uh, the uh, controversial kaiju episodes mm -hmm. that we are doing over on the sister podcast, The Bloody Pit. Uh, mm -hmm. Next up is uh, next up for The Bloody Pit for the two of us is going to be uh, GMK Godzilla, yeah. Moth Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidra, all monsters, monsters all out attack. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Godzilla film. <laughs> Did you see why we normally just call it GMK? Yeah. That's what I'm going to be calling it that whole damn <laughs> podcast because uh -huh. I will just lose my mind. Uh, but that's the one we're going to be covering here. Uh, well, over on that podcast in two months. But next month here, mm -hmm. we're going to uh, slide slash segue right back into a Beyond Nashy episode. We're going to cover one that is an old favorite of mine, and one that I honestly, at this point, five years into this podcast, I can't believe we have not touched on more in depth before. We're going to talk about speaking of Jack Taylor, yeah, uh, yeah. the Vampire's Night Orgy, mm -hmm. um, which is a film that. Um, it is uh, yet another Leon Klamowski story, yeah. uh, film. Uh, yeah. Leon yeah. Klamowski joint. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I know for a while we were talking about how we were going to become like the Klamowski cast because we were doing so many of his films, but then we kind of dropped out of that, and this will be our first Klamowski in a while. So. And uh, Jack Taylor is not the only Nashi connection. No, no. We no, also no. have... Danica Zurakowska, who was in, uh, she was she was kind of one of the first ladies of uh, Nashi uh, films because she goes all the way back to Mark of the Wolfman, right? Exactly, she is in Frankenstein's Bloody she Terror. She could be called the first love of the first cinematic love of uh, of Walter It's true, true. She was also in The Hanging Woman. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we definitely have some uh, some joy. Mm -hmm. uh, and some definite. Oh, and don't forget that Helga Linnae is in it. I oh. think this may have been the first film I saw Helga Linnae in. Whoa. Vampires Night Orgy may have been that. Wow. So, so lots of Nashi uh, alumni. And when, I don't know if it's still in print, but is the uh, it came out on. If it is, then it's not too hard to film to get your hands on because it came out with a double feature, didn't it? With another. It was a Code Red DVD. It was a double feature with Doctor Jekyll and the Werewolf. I think Doctor Jekyll right? and the Werewolf. Yeah. So if that's it's still in print, you can should be able to get a hold of it pretty easily. Uh, Louis Sidges is in it. Louis Sidges, that's right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, the Vampires Night Orgy. 
which is kind of an awkward title, but we'll it is. But not nothing exploitative about that at all. I mean, you know, they weren't trying to like suggest. No, you know, no, there's nothing suggestive about no, that. They I were mean, trying to suggest with that title that this is a thoughtful, artful, you know, slice of Euro well, European. Well, I mean, you know. the film came out in 1974, so I'm really, mm. I'm really pretty sure that this is a restrained, mm. tasteful yeah. piece of art. Plus, plus at that time, I think orgies were just pretty much happening in every household. It was just kind of standard, you know, post dinner. You couldn't go to the mailbox without getting, without an orgy, getting involved so, yeah. in an orgy. So this is almost like just saying uh, the Vampire's Day Off or something like that. <laughs> vampire's leisure leisure time. Or, yeah. Va- vampire's <laughs> trip to Starbucks for a coffee. There you that's, go. There you go. That's that's the film that I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. So next month we will be covering uh, the Vampire's Night Orgy. Uh, another Klamowski film. Mm-hmm. Wow, we really are going to have eventually worked our way through them all. We am, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that will be uh, next month here on the Nashy Cast. We thank you once again yes, for ma'am. for listening, uh, for so. tuning for tuning in, downloading, and listening to us babble away. And uh, remember, you can contact us. We love to hear from you with the with ideas. Uh, I have to admit, the more I think about the 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 film suggestions we got this night. Mm-hmm. I'm wanting to kind of pursue, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, chase yeah, that yeah. down, oh, yeah. chase that down, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know, I've, I've been getting the itch to rewatch Swamp of the Ravens for a little while, and this may mm-hmm. just push it to the top of that list. <clears throat> cool. So, we shall see. So, once again, thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. Keep them flying, folks. Keep them flying low. Anyways, we 
been getting away, we've been getting away, we are strangers to ourselves. We sneak out, drip by drip, through paper cuts on our hands, day after day. Nothing's quite the same, we are tourists and I'm okay, so let's walk on. Let's go. Let's walk on. Let's go. 